0: Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but.
1: Hey, Gerald, baby, this is your agent. I just got a hold of you here. animal world order thing. You know me, Irving K. Musselman, calling from Hollywoodland, USA. It's some amazing friggin' news for you, baby. We got a call back in those headshots we've been shopping around here. Spielberg's people call us back. Can you believe it? Spielberg's people. They tell me that you're going to be playing the title role in that new movie they're making with Guillermo. What's his face? You're going to be playing Tintin. They want somebody with European features. And since you're pink like a Christmas ant, baby, you're going to be the guy. They're going to foof your hair up in the front. They're going to have you hang around with a little white dog and a couple of gay cops with the same last name. And you could be the next Shia La Douche guy. He's in everything now, like a Michael Caine with acne. You got my cell phone? Call my people. He see back ASAP. Are you coming over on the red eye? And We'll talk and do lunch. We're going to make some money, Gerald, baby, doing Tintin, some Belgium cartoon thing. About waffles, I guess.
0: Welcome back to the Anime World Order podcast. It's been a while, and it'll probably be a while yet again, but this is show number 70. Thanks for joining us. I am Daryl Surratt, joined with two intrepid co-pilots.
2: Hey, guys.
3: Did you hear that? What? We're co-pilots. But we're all co-pilots.
0: It's like Kyle Getter There's no pilot of Getter They're all co-pilots. God is my co-pilot.
2: I thought there was always actually really one main pilot, and the others were just sort of there.
0: It's a propaganda campaign put out by the man.
3: <laughs> I think so.
0: And for all your propaganda needs, do remember there's www.animeworldorder.com, which contains the full archive of every single previous show, as well as comments for people who disseminate the propaganda. You can send us an email, let us know what you think about this one, animeworldorder at gmail.com. And we got voicemails, and we will actually play some this episode. The phone number, if you want to leave some, is 206 4296 So anyway, who are you folks?
3: Gerald Rathkolb, yet again, terrified of the box of stuff that I'm going to be getting in like a few days. Box
0: of stuff. What kind of stuff? Condomania sale?
3: <laughs> of course. It's funny because like You're on a, the yeah, last I'm a show, fan. So
0: you have to order Beyond Sevens, so I'm just saying. <laughs>
3: On the last show, we talked about how we go crazy when there's sales on for anime stuff.
0: And As what that happened show... was... <laughs> we, we, we said that with regards to the deep discount 20% off sale.
2: Which I still haven't even bought anything from.
3: Yeah, I didn't bother with that. As we record, it, it, we've so, got about three days. so much worse days. happened.
0: I ended yeah. up buying some bad HD DVDs. I'm this close to Lady in the Water on HD DVD for like, <laughs> oh that's $8. too far, eight dollars. That's too no. far. <laughs> okay, but yeah, Right Stuff had a sale where they were clearing out their Genion stock.
3: And what's terrifying about this is that it was virtually all of Genion stock. Yeah. For about five dollars a disc. Some were ten, some were fifteen.
2: Yep. I didn't buy the Lupin TV discs. Cause they were all ten dollars for some reason. Yeah. All the discs of that were $10.
0: Yeah, I only needed one more Lupin disc. Yeah. And I had gotten the last Guinea on sale, or it was yeah. like $25 or $100 or something, I got all the rest of oh. them, so I only needed the last one.
2: Yeah, see, I didn't have any of them. I mean, I, I yeah. did get Mystery of Mamo, but I didn't get any of the TV discs.
0: As Patrick Macias would say, TV's Patrick Macias, Mystery of Mamo is the only Lupin that matters. <laughs> Hmm. But yeah, I ended up losing my mind because for $5 you end up buying anything. I mean, mostly I was relatively conservative, like, oh, I needed one or two more Hajimino Ipo discs. But then, oh, look, the limited edition of Sakura Tyson the movie. (laughs) <laughs> Maria's not even in this movie for more than two seconds. Just kind of punch anyone. I don't remember. I'm buying this. It came with uh. miniature pencil boards.
2: Luckily, I was not as bad as Daryl or Gerald. I did buy some stuff that I probably might not have bought otherwise. I would say you were worse as far
0: as total expended.
2: Maybe. Would you spend
0: like $700?
2: No, like, well, <laughs> like, Four <laughs> oh, hundred. I went okay. back and placed another order all? for a couple more discs. <laughs> they somehow inexplicably got more copies of stuff that they were out of when I placed my first order.
0: Was out of stock.
2: Yeah, like it was said, it was out of stock, and then when I I went back later, they said they had it.
0: Yeah, I was going to get the El Hazard OAVs. And those are just gone. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I thought about getting those, but yeah, I think those were all gone. I couldn't decide whether to get the other single discs of Epo because I got the first thin pack. After that, it was like, do I take the extra shelf space, because it's really cheap to get the other DVDs, or do I just wait and buy the other brick? And I think I ended up just waiting.
0: I don't think the other brick even exists.
2: Yeah, it does. I think so.
0: I
3: think it did ship.
2: At least I'm better than Gerald cuz I didn't buy Ikitosen.
0: Lucky Tosen, but Gerald, you can watch that show for free entirely on English <laughs> on the YouTube. I
3: don't know what I was thinking. Is- <laughs> <laughs> I was dropping Clarissa off, and it was, like, 11.30 at night. Then you messaged me with the sale, and I was like, oh, shit. And so I called Clarissa up, and I'm sure that she hated me for calling her.
2: I think I received a text message from Daryl about the sale, either right before or right after you called. Yeah. I sent both of
0: you the message
3: concurrently. Zapang, order it all. Citizen 28, I heard it was good. Order it.
2: I've seen two episodes of Master Keaton. I guess it was okay. Fuck, I'll buy all of them. I bought all of uh, Battle Athlete's Victory,
0: but that does not answer the question of how does Ikitosin <laughs> get bought. I mean, these things, these titles, things like Zepang, Oh
3: I
2: finally bought Twenty Eight.
3: These are all reasonable purchases. I think what happened was I thought Ikitosin, five dollars a disc, it might make a really awesome review. That was kind of what was...
0: I don't even know if Dave and Joel were able to get a good <laughs> review out of Dave that Dave and Joel one.
3: didn't get a good review out of Mad Bull, and so they're Aww. pathetic for that. And Mad Bull, you can get the most awesome review in the world out of.
0: On the subject of getting awesome reviews, what are yeah. the reviews in store for this week? Because we never told anyone at the end of Show 69, so this one's just a mystery.
2: Did we ever even talk to each other about what we were doing this episode? I, I did. Yeah.
3: I think I know what... No, I don't, actually.
2: To tide us all over until September, when the manga finally starts coming out from vertical, I'm going to be returning to Osamu Tezuka's Blackjack, which a while ago I reviewed this, but uh, I reviewed the 1990s OAV series and movie directed by Osamu Tezuka with character designs by Akio Sugino. This time I'm going to be talking about the newer animated versions of Blackjack, two television series and another movie. Blackjack Television, another shorter series called Blackjack 21, and then a movie called uh, The Two Dark Doctors.
3: I'm going to be taking a look at a movie that came out in 2006, and it's probably one of the most unusual-looking anime movies ever made. It certainly is very different, especially in the staff that was in it as mm-hmm. well, but I'm going to be taking a look at Tekkon Kinkreet. The
0: manga of which was released under the name Black and White yep. several years ago by Vizys Pulp.
2: Yeah. Line.
0: Yeah. And it's been re-released under the name Tech on Concrete to tie in with the film release.
2: Yeah, I guess uh, people are spared from the horrible, horrible thing I was going to inflict on them because I didn't have a chance to watch it. Sorry, all this stuff has to get edited out now.
0: No, we should just leave it all in. No. (laughs) Alright.
2: No. Fuck you.
0: That's not getting edited out. It's reverse psychology. Saying that's not (laughs) getting edited out. But it is going to get so it. So what are
2: up, you doing, Daryl?
0: And it's just as well that we didn't actually reveal what it was we were going to be reviewing on this show at the end of the last show, because had I done that, people would have been posting spoilers all over the place for the last however long it's been since the last show, probably a month. I am going to be reviewing a very requested television series, very much requested by Alexander Strange anyway, and a few others, but it is a fairly recent Madhouse production. Known as Kaiji, the ultimate survivor. Okay. I haven't
2: gotten to watch that yet.
0: You know, with a title like that, I think you understand just how manly a show this is.
2: That's the one uh, from the same dude that did Akagi, right?
0: It is indeed.
2: Are they connected? From the same man
0: who did Akagi, but you'd never be able to tell, because the shows (laughs) are so different. You'd never be able to look at the two side by side and determine that they are both from Fukumoto Nobuyuki. They're not connected at all, no.
2: Okay.
3: So that guy did Kaiba, no, Kaiji? He did Kaiji and he did Akagi, but he did Akagi first. Okay. And they're both adaptations yeah. of his manga.
0: Kaiba was Masaki Yuasa.
3: Wasn't there a Kaiba spinoff of a Detective Conan?
0: Kaiba is a show that is currently running right now in Japan by Masaki Yuasa, who is the director of Mind Game and things like the Beyond segment of the Animatrix. Very surreal and strange show, but yeah. I'm glad that one group
3: is... Fan-subbing it, even though it's not very popular. I'm just certain that I've heard of, like, another Kaiba spinoff, but anyway.
2: I think you're thinking of Kaiba from Yu-Gi-Oh!, which is understandable. No, no, no,
3: there's... (laughs) In the show, Detective Conan, all the kids are fans of the show called Kaiba. Oh. And I'm pretty sure that there was, like, maybe a single OAV or something of that Mm. show that they did. Yeah,
0: this is a more different show.
3: Who knows? They do strange things in Japan. As we'll find out in the new segment.
2: They need to do strange things like making an entire spin-off series of Naruto based on that one Shippuden ending where they're all school punks. Yeah, I'd watch that show.
0: Isn't that the end credits? It needs to be
2: a whole show. Hmm. I'd, I'd fucking watch that.
0: Yeah, that would be a pretty <laughs> good show. It'd be like Angelic Days of Evangelion, only watchable. So, I guess, as far as emails go, we'll probably just read this one. As podcasting ombudsman, we're very committed and dedicated to accuracy and truth in our amateur-made anime podcast. So, (laughs) this one is from Graziella, (laughs) a.k.a. Dave Riley's girlfriend. And she writes, Well, hello! I do, in (laughs) fact, still listen to the show, and while I appreciate being celebrated on the podcast for having lots of sex, I assure you, That the bed was broken by entirely innocent means. It was a shitty IKEA bed made of particle board and paper mache that had been falling apart for quite a while. I will also have you know that aside from sex and karaoke, we engage in many other informative and inspiring recreational undertakings. We also play World of Warcraft, sometimes rock band. And occasionally, we eat. Just so you know. Aside from these minor mistakes, which, as a respected giant of the news media, I assume you will promptly issue errata for, it was a very educational show. I feel like I know much more about unsound business practices and how to generate customer ill will. I will be sure to implement these strategies when someday I want to bankrupt a company of my very own she is Graziella. That's my closest approximation of how she sounds, I met her.
3: Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> speaking of uh generating customer ill will, I have some advice. Don't ever, ever end up on one of Viz's mailing lists. Because they will never, ever take you off of it, even if you unsubscribe six times! Do they
3: have, like, one of those policies where you unsubscribe, but it's, like, six weeks to get you off the list?
2: Maybe? I don't know. All I know is I have unsubscribed multiple times, and I still get fucking emails for Hmm. them. And it really sucks, because I only signed up for one of them, and the only reason was so I could get access to the early purchasing for the Death Note tickets, which we didn't even end up going to see, because after that I found out that it was going to be dubbed. And then they started sending me emails from their other mailing list, the one I didn't sign up for. Yeah, I'm not happy about that either. So fuck you, Viz. I hate you guys.
3: (laughs) Hmm. Speaking of that Death Note showing, I heard they did, like, the Bleach showing, and I heard that that was, at least from one of our listeners, was semi-successful, at least.
2: Yeah. Well, Bleach is pretty popular, so...
3: Well, so is Fullmetal Alchemist, and no one showed up to those showings.
0: I guess the film had been out for
3: a
2: while. Yeah, when it was still new, because, I mean, Fullmetal Alchemist was really popular, but it's kind of been on a downswing. Like, if you go to cons, there's not as many, like, Fullmetal Alchemist cosplayers and stuff around.
3: I don't know, I still think that there would have been more than two people in the audience for a Full Metal Alchemist movie showing when that came out.
2: It also depends on the area, because I know in some places, at least, apparently the Death Note showings had really long lines. So I think it probably varies. I
0: guess that'll be a good segue for the next bit of uh, talking about stuff we can do, because uh, we actually went uh, in the interim between episodes. We've actually gone to a couple of anime conventions... Uh, I actually went to two, but we all went to JCon in Orlando. That was, uh, all the way back in May, and it's the end of June now. Whatever.
3: (laughs) It's the middle of June. Are you just, I'm just extrapolating.
2: 2009.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) We were all there as press, and so, uh, I guess now would be a good time to quickly sort of give some of our thoughts on how the convention went.
2: Maybe one of these days we'll actually do one of these promptly after the convention. (laughs)
0: But anyway, we were all there as press. J-Con this year, it was previously in, what was it, the Sheraton World Resort?
3: Sheraton World Resort on International Drive, which they've been in for about four years or so, three years. It's not a bad hotel.
2: It's pretty good.
0: Pretty good. I was kind of annoyed at the outdoor 70s resort-style layout, such that you'd have to do a lot of walking back and forth. Yeah. And in the previous years, we'd lucked out. It never rained. The year before this one, it rained
3: yeah, what Daryl's talking about, by the way, is a lot of resorts in Orlando are 70 style resorts in that they all have very large windows, sliding glass windows, very old-fashioned sort of hotels. Right, very unsafe to
0: be in if a hurricane is about to hit.
2: Which is exactly what you want in Florida.
0: Yeah. So anyway, this year, J-Con moved to a new location. In Kissimmee. Yeah, Kissimmee, which for those who don't know, it's a bit of a ways away from Orlando. Not... That far, but there aren't very many hotels large enough in yeah. Orlando to hold j that aren't super gigantic.
3: Kissimmee is a town that is most well known for being close to Disney World.
0: Yeah, that's like their claim to fame. 15 minute drive from Disney World, guys.
3: For those who don't know, Disney World, in relation to Orlando, nobody lives around Disney World or close to Disney World. Most people live as far away from Disney World as you can get. For example, you live about 45 minutes away. Well, actually, I'm not in Orlando. Technically. Yeah,
2: you're in Oviedo, aren't you?
0: Yeah, it's all suburbs and stuff like that. Anyway, yeah. it's a different location. It was about, I'd say, 10-15 minutes away from the old convention location.
2: And it was terrible? I did not like this hotel very much. Nobody liked this hotel. It was awful. Some of this comes from people we knew who had rooms at the hotel. Well, Daryl, you had a room. But uh, Gerald and I didn't really bother staying in a room at the hotel because we...
3: We live in the town, so, right. or the city, so what's the point? Yeah. At least that's our th- and, thought process.
0: Right, whereas Paul Chapman and I live about right, three, four right. hours yeah. away, so we had a room.
2: But basically, the hotel, it seemed kind of small and cramped. The layout organization was just not really great. I mean, some of it, I think they couldn't really help, because that's kind of, I guess, what the hotel gave them. They had, like, a big room for the dealer's room, and then a few rooms in the same building, like, next to it. But then all the viewing rooms and, like, the art gallery were on the second floor of that building. The worst, though, was the panel rooms, which were actually, like, in a separate little hallway area. It was
0: actually a separate building.
2: Was it? Yeah, it was. It was a separate building, and it was this little tiny, like, hallway with these little rooms offset. And basically... Nobody could just walk past the panel rooms in the course of walking around the other convention areas. And so you don't get the pass-through traffic where people are like, oh, hey, what's going on in this room? You basically had to know exactly where the panel rooms were and go out of your way. Also, the hallway where the panel rooms were smelled terrible. In fact, a lot of hallways in this hotel smelled terrible. It smelled mildewy and gross. The AC
3: was broken everywhere. And there's a reason for that.
0: Yeah. There is a reason for that. The hotel was allegedly being renovated at the time. Right. I do know that the AC was not working in the hallways. If you went into the rooms, the AC worked there. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. But
0: for the most part, it was nightmarishly hot. And this is Florida in the summer, plus no air conditioning, plus a lot of people in a fairly smallish area, many of whom are in costumes. It was not that comfortable to just walk around
3: the con area. Right. It's weird because I think that it would have worked very well if it was maybe a first or second year con, third year con maybe.
2: Yeah.
0: As far as certain things, like the staff of J-Con was the same staff as always. So as far as tech and stuff like that, mm-hmm. they were right on the ball. Like I didn't have yeah. any problems at all as far right, as right. needing connections to things or having av setups all that was i very fine. rarely
3: have a problem with jcon and stuff yeah, like they're that really, they're really right usually on the, the ball The
2: problems really weren't anything to do specifically fault, really, with so. the staff it was really just the hotel was terrible i mean if it hadn't been for that hotel the convention would have been so much better
0: as far as things jcon could improve granted it was their first year at the hotel so maybe next time If there's a next time at the same hotel, I'm pretty sure that they'll probably want to try another hotel. Seemed like there was fewer people. I I didn't have any official count, but it didn't seem like there was quite as many people as previous years. The main events room was really, really, really big. And then there was a, a smaller events room. And those were the only two big rooms. Right. I think the main events room was probably a little too big. Because technically speaking, they did have more space. Mm -hmm. Then in the previous hotel, it's just all that space went into the much bigger main events room, the bigger dealer's room, and a very, very large room for registration. Yeah. But registration was not located at a very good spot at all because to get to registration, you had to walk through the entire convention already to just next to the dealer's room and then enter a very large room and that's where registration was. That would introduce a whole lot of traffic of people trying to get into the dealer's room right next to people trying to register. It was not as bad as Supercon, which I also went to like shortly afterwards, but they might move that, I would suggest. I don't know, though. On Friday, Paul Chapman had a Odin Endurance Marathon in which he thought it would be a splendid idea to run Odin Photon Space Sailor Starlight, the full uncut version, starting at midnight to see who would survive. (laughs) It was him and Joey Snackpants were going to do this. About 30 minutes in, Joey Snackpants got up and walked away and was gone for about an hour. (laughs) And then he came back, then he left again. (laughs) Couldn't deal with it.
3: Didn't he have his own party to go to as well?
2: Snackpants! Happening
0: opposite his own party that is happening at the same time as the Odin Endurance (laughs) Marathon.
3: Did he come back visibly drunker every time? Was it just, like, (laughs) different stages of... I
0: can't tell if Joey Snackpants is visibly drunk anymore. There's just kind of a default... (laughs) Appearance. (laughs) So, anyway, I think the highlight of this Odin panel was at some point I was quite surprised. It was one in the morning and the room was surprisingly full. I would say there was maybe 50 people still watching Odin. Wow. And I just sort of got on the mic and said, That's impressive. There is still an hour and 30 minutes left (laughs) in this movie. (laughs) At that point, about half the room got up and left. Why'd you do that? Because. We had rewards for whomever would survive watching Odin. And we were like, oh man, we're not going to have enough
2: of these things to give out. Didn't you guys still run out of t-shirts?
0: Yeah, we did. We originally wanted to have pins for Odin to give to everybody. And then for those who survived, Paul had made, I survived Odin, Photon, Space Sailor Starlight. Actually, I think he forgot a photon in there. But we did, in fact, not have enough shirts to give to people. Because at least 30 or 40 some people at the end... Sat through all of Odin.
2: <laughs> wow. Commend you. So who would make the pins now? Who
0: would make the pins now, now that the pin press has been torched oh, in a storm car? up in car? flames? <laughs>
3: mm. That many people there means one of two things. Either they authentically enjoyed Odin, or there was nothing else to do.
0: There was the Yaoi PJ party where in the smaller events room, which maybe, considering the attendance of that thing... I don't know if that's a main events thing or not. I would have to ask the uh, Yowie PJ party people who equals half of the people we know at this convention. Because that was the other thing. Not very many people we knew were at this convention compared to previous years. And I don't know if it was the change in location or what. Part of
3: that, I think, is due to the fact that a lot of our friends work on the weekends.
0: Oh, yeah. They have (laughs) jobs on the weekends and cannot be free to go to a convention anymore. Whereas we work during the week. Yeah. And so we never see anybody. But yeah, Friday was relatively light as far as stuff happening. We actually took the time to go out to the movies, because some people hadn't seen Speed Racer yet, so we went and said, oh, there's one IMAX theater in the state playing Speed Racer, and it is ten minutes away from this convention, so that's what we did. Even though all of us had already seen Speed
3: Racer, I was like, I'll see it again,
0: who hated Speed Racer.
2: Oh, but you got to see it on IMAX.
3: Aww. All of you critics out there who hate that movie, fuck all of you all. Speed Racer's awesome. It, it is. Yeah.
0: Sorry, Paul.
3: It's, I don't know what your problems are. It's a
2: Speed are. Racer movie. It's exactly what a Speed Racer movie was supposed to be.
3: They don't get it. I know. They're dumb critics.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Paul Chapman was all like, Well, I object to the concept of having to have the recap footage at the very end of the film, even <laughs> though we'd already seen this happened before. <laughs> so I was like, shut up, Paul. This movie is awesome. <laughs> that is my closest approximation to how Paul Chapman speaks his weaving-esque diction. <laughs> but anyway, Saturday was uh, my panel, which is traditionally like the anime hell clone, the panel of doom. However, I was informed that because the panel rooms were so small and it was often its own separate building and it was happening opposite Stevie B's party, which was going to be held in one of the panel and rooms. And the hentai and hoedown. The hentai hoedown, which is going to have catered food, that my panel was now 18-plus only. It is generally not 18-plus only. But once I heard this, I immediately called Gerald on the phone and was like, Gerald, I need you to bring Brass Eye for me. Because <laughs> we've been holding on to this for like years and years now. Because when are we going to unleash Brass you Eye? You should tell them and what and Brass Eye like, is. Brass Eye is a show from uh, England Hosted by and written by and pretty much the sole brainchild it's not written, of one man. It's a
3: documentary.
0: I'm sorry. Dumbass. It was captured by one man, a genius by the name of Christopher Morris, who for whatever reason is not allowed to make documentaries anymore as a result of Brass Eye. <laughs> and I can't imagine why. Maybe people just don't like children's dicks all over the screen. I don't
3: it's know. It's because people don't understand it's when they have the good aids and the bad aids. Cake is a made-up drug. Yeah. It's made of chemicals.
2: It's unfortunate you can't really use a Dark Place anymore, because it ran on TV here.
0: Everyone knows about it, yeah.
2: Yeah. So. Man to Man
0: with Dean Lerner, maybe. Yeah. I I figured, since they'll recognize him from Dark Place, they'll know the jig is up.
2: That's alright, you had Mr. Awesome.
0: Mr. Awesome... I need more Mr. Awesome. Everyone... I was sort of banking that some people would know about Mr. Awesome, because... People, King of Kong? The King of Kong. And people didn't know about Mr. Awesome. Explain and briefly like, what Mr. Awesome real? is
3: about.
2: I don't think many people have seen King of Kong.
0: King of Kong, for me, it's like the whole documentary was filmed like fairly close to my house. But Mr. Awesome, Roy Schilt, holds the Guinness Book of World Records. He has the highest score in Missile Command, the old arcade game. And he has decided to call himself Mr. Awesome... So he can pick up chicks using his Guinness World Records (laughs) (laughs) Missile Command prowess. And he has videos instructing fellow nerds how to pick up women using the Mr. Awesome method. And he has a comic book out and everything.
2: He's also a really freakish looking bodybuilder. Yeah. A notch removed from
0: Derek Rich, I would say. No chicken nunchucks, though. Unfortunate. But yeah, I had lots of really (laughs) exceptional clips during the panel. The only problem was the rooms were so small. I think
3: uh, you used pretty much every Speed Racer parody that I could think of, at least. I
0: had almost all the Speed Racer parodies. That was the time to use them.
2: I'm really glad you busted out the green porno, too.
0: Yeah, Isabella Rossellini's green porno, as seen on the Sundance channel, those are probably going to make another appearance at AWA But I I had almost every speeder, sir, one. I did not have Jeff Tarek's Speedy Days of Racing Thunder. It didn't make it in uh, because I couldn't find a good enough capture. Right after the convention ended, they captured it and posted it. I was like, damn it.
2: Hmm. Oh, well. (laughs) AWA. Panel would have went
0: quite well, although even though I bent over backwards to get Mr. Spooky Electric, William Bradford, into my panel, he then got up and left because he could not deal with the rampant homosexuality that is present throughout all panels of I doom. I think it was
3: because I was that, falling all over him and taking photographs with him perhaps. That is the
0: rampant homosexuality. Speaking yeah. of See, um,
2: Gerald, you have to stop raping people. We can't take you anywhere. God.
3: Well, he's got to live up to the face. We had one of our one of our <laughs> listeners came down from New York for the convention and he posted his thoughts on yeah. there and one of his major thoughts was Gerald's rape face is his gift and his burden. It's his
0: gift, it is his curse. Yes. It's who is he he's
3: rape man yeah i believe it was james it was james yes. who was yeah.
0: shipped out to iraq
3: yes come back james take care of yourself so anyway
0: other than that i mean the whole convention is somewhat of a blur at this point i don't really remember doing a whole lot of stuff it was
3: kind of a weird convention in that there was a lot of dead time in it that we're not really used to in other conventions
2: Yeah, there was, like, nothing going on. Now, do you think the reason was that they
0: really cracked down and vetted a lot of the panels a lot more than usual? Like, do you think the panels that were there were good, and the dead time was due to normally being occupied by crappy panels? Do you think that might have been it? I really Mm.
2: wonder if it was that, or if it was just the bad attendance, because it was just not that many people. And I don't know if it's because people didn't want to go out to Kissimmee, or what, but...
3: I don't know. It's... It was weird. Like I had a decent not attendance that for. much farther. I had a weirdly good attendance for my panel, which I didn't mention. I did a panel yeah. all about. 1980s giant robot shows
0: You got like four years into the 1980s before we ran out of time Yeah, it's
3: weird because I went through all of the 60s and the 70s in an hour and the 80s I couldn't get through in Even
0: previous years, you mean
3: Yeah, the, the previous convention Yeah, AFO and I couldn't get through all of the 80s and I couldn't get through half the 80s
0: They just made
2: so many robot shows Yeah, you weren't 80s. even getting
0: every single one You were just like talking about the important ones Spent a whole lot of time talking about like oh, and this is Votoms Didn't even get to Zeta Gundam or anything Yeah, like it was that. really like
3: 1984 before yeah. 1985, and that was about it. But the thing is, I do these sorts of panels because they're fun to do, and I like to talk about giant robot shows, but also they don't tend to cause a very large crowd. Like, the people that come to yeah, them are very... Much, it's
0: not a whole lot of people who want to learn about robots. It's more like you get all the giant robot fans in the state, yeah. and you can fill up a room of about 30
3: people. Yeah, and the thing is then, you get a full room of very, very dedicated people, and I was actually surprised that there were as many people there as there were. It's specifically like, this is going to be a panel for ten people, at most. Five of which are Mm -hmm. going to be people I know, and so are socially obligated (laughs) to be there.
2: I think it's usually more like a panel of five people, three of which are people you know.
3: Well, we've done panels...
2: Sometimes ten. We've
3: done panels where there's two people in the room, one of which was socially obligated to be there. But that was a different convention.
2: Yeah, it was. We never really talked in speaking of how horrible the hotel was. We never uh, related the horrible trials that other people we knew who had rooms at the convention oh, went man. through.
0: They were not very happy with the staff of the hotel cuz I think part of it was the hotel staff didn't really realize what they were in for when they said anime convention.
3: That happens <laughs> a lot at a lot. The staff
0: was not very accommodating to a lot of our friends who were, you know, all the cosplayers had their room, and it's like eight people, and they they actually booked two rooms that were supposed to be back-to-back. They did not give them back-to-back rooms at first because, oh, that's the handicapped room, and they had to argue for hours and hours. Most of their weekend was spent arguing over the phone. But then the rooms themselves, you can might say it's due to the renovations, you might say it's due to various other weird stuff, but they did not have a very good time, especially with all the issues regarding... Getting charged for things, and staff saying they're going to do something and not doing it, and all sorts of...
2: Well, there are, like, some really good pictures that Cassie and Amanda and them took.
0: Yeah, they're excellent pictures with captions on them.
2: Of things like the AC vents that were half-wallpapered over Yeah. For no yeah. apparent reason. It's like, oh, let's renovate! Renovate! Get the wallpaper up! What's this in front? Doesn't matter! Yeah, and then there was Tom, who had the maggot fridge.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the yeah. second time he moved from the room, right? Was the maggot fridge? I forgot.
0: I don't know. I did man. not see that room. They did, however, have towels folded up to resemble elephants. And swans.
3: We've got photographs.
2: Yeah, we do. So
0: it's a trade-off. Maggots for swans. <laughs> elephants. so. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, J-Con this year it didn't really feel like J-Con usually does. Usually no. it feels pretty good. I want to say like 85% of it is just the location of it, but then
2: yeah.
0: It's not just that. There's other forces at play that was like, I don't know, maybe related to the hotel situation, but some a lot of it seemed like maybe some of the groups that would ordinarily volunteer for panels didn't put up anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't do any panels this time.
0: Yeah, I did significantly fewer than usual because the Otaku USA deadlines were concurrent, just like last year, because I learned my lesson. It's weird yeah. how
3: much a location really can affect your enjoyment of a convention on, like, every level.
0: Right. Sometimes yeah. even if the hotel is good, if it's in a bad spot, that can strongly affect your enjoyment of the convention. Like, MetroCon in Tampa... Would be a great con if it were not in downtown Tampa.
3: Which is the most horrible place in... ever to, to try to drive around in. Yeah. I always thought that JCon was just in a bad location relative to me, because I had to drive 45 minutes to get there, but it seems like it was kind of far away from everybody. Yeah. Which I didn't really think. I thought that, you know, there would be just a lot of people from other parts of Orlando. I mean, when it's so far it's, it's away... It's so
0: strange, though. I mean, when you think back to, like, how anime cons were, the fact that... It's now in your city, but it's on the other side of the city, and therefore that's too far. That's kind of like where we are for anime cons in the state of Florida because <laughs> there's so many. And it's like, ah, yeah. that one i got to drive on I-4. Well, you know, it's
3: it's weird, though. If something is 45 minutes away, it's inconvenient. But if it's three or four hours away, then you can get a hotel room and it's convenient.
0: Right. Point taken.
3: It's just far enough away to... Not be worth getting a hotel room.
0: But too far away to say, okay, I'm going to fly or I'm going to get a
3: room.
2: I think it wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for gas prices now. Yeah,
3: that was something that was on my mind.
0: The gas wasn't the ultra skyrocketing price, but it was still very high and it's not going to change like ever. So I'm not sure how between the gas prices and the fact that anime stuff is kind of on the downswing as we'll go into probably in the news, but that's been ongoing for a while. Between those things, I'm not sure how that's going to play into the anime convention attendance to come, but we'll
3: see. Also, I want to mention one last thing about the con. We were part of this event at the very, very tail end of the con called uh, Are You Smarter Than an Otaku? This was something that I found kind of entertaining. Like, none of us had seen what Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader is, so they had to explain it to us. Yeah. But the person that put this together, I've got no problems with her at all, but she's an anime fan from about... Two thousands. In the mid-90s. Mid-90s the as well. And so, I guess the... President uh, of Jacob. Yeah. President of Jacob. And they took a lot of questions from shows that were very low-level things, from shows like Fushigi Yugi and such. It's basically, and,
0: their idea of what the easy questions were was like, what's something everybody knows from back when I was getting into anime fandom? Mm-hmm. But when they were getting into anime fandom, Escaflone was big. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Stuff like that. These are shows that people would not have had the chance to see now. Now I've actually seen that a few times. I mean, yeah, I, it's we'll talk about Florida SuperCon some other time, but there's a game show there that'll also be at MetroCon where the people there said, "Okay, the easiest questions," and and these questions are all about Outlaw Star. Hmm. Outlaw Star is a show
3: from like ten so, some years ago. So, yeah, and it was and, on. And
0: was
2: it really that popular? Even
0: it was on Cartoon Network, and there was always like one or two people who were like still carrying the torch and diehard Outlaw Star fanatics to the convention, but most people yeah. did not no, Outlaw Star. Yeah. Right. It's just one of those things where you start to think what's an easy, basic question. It's 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 not meant to be like, it's
3: not meant to be a slight against her for running it like that at all. It's just more like... It's more just how old we are. An interesting observation. I guess if I were running the panel, I would have to consciously be like, okay, it has to be like, Naruto,
0: yeah, because even if you asked about Sailor
3: Moon, yeah, Sailor which, Moon, like, oh, again,
0: everyone knows about Sailor Moon, right? Wrong.
3: Nope, Sailor Moon hasn't been on TV in like five years or something longer than that. Seven years, yeah. so yeah, it's it's a reflection of yeah. So it's
0: it's interesting to always see like what the basic questions are, because even if you ask like a Pokemon question, yeah. technically Pokemon is from a decade ago but it's still running so people are still getting those games knowing about Pokemon so maybe that's a
2: yeah I mean that was kind of interesting but I was more weirded out by some of the hard level questions that we were really bad at because it was just like stuff that I would never remember like what's Lupin's license plate like I don't remember stuff like that I don't think any of us remembered that one
0: yeah, I I generally do not know details such as that. Even yeah. though
2: if I were to spot
0: Lupin's car, I would say, "Yep, that's it," but I wouldn't be able to identify it based right. on the license
3: plate.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: I guess I'm one of those types of fans that that's very bad at remembering the super minute details. Right. But I'll remember like a very obscure show, like in general or such.
2: I think I tend to be better at knowing, like, basic information about, like, a lot of series and then more detailed stuff about a lot of other ones. But, yeah, when it comes to, like, remembering really minute details like that, I have a hard time. It's probably because I don't rewatch the same things, like, over and over and over again the way some people do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, my problem is that I'm, like, Leonard Shelby and nothing ever sticks. Like, even shows Mm -hmm. I really like... I don't remember anything about them. Not even, like, the character names. I can remember that was a good show. I can remember to recommend, (laughs) hey, watch The Rose of Versailles. Hey, watch Legends of Galactic Heroes. But I don't remember anything about these shows. I just remember, yes, I definitely did spend a great deal of time watching Space Pirate Captain Harlock. What happened in that show
2: again, I do not
0: know. I
3: don't know, Daryl. I think you're full of shit, because... I can't remember character names right after I've watched the show.
2: <laughs> Gerald can't remember character names while he's watching, as he's watching the show. The
3: show yeah. Even
0: if their name is displayed on. I'm, just, I'm not even talking about remembering <laughs> names. I'm just, like, it may as well have been like I never saw the show. I don't remember what happened in the show or anything. I just remember this show was good.
2: I don't believe you on L-O-G-H, though, because you talk about Oberstein too much.
0: But I don't remember details. I just remember, like, certain key phrases of sentences. But I don't actually remember, like, <laughs> this happened, then this happened, and this happened. I can just remember, he said this in this situation, or that's a pretty good thing. I would yeah. make something and, and spray paint it on my wall. Hmm. Oh, maybe I don't remember the full details of Metal Gear Solid 3, but I could take right. a picture of Oberstein and then put, like, I give my life not for honor, but for you, and it'll work. And that's how I <laughs> remember stuff. That's why I need this podcast, to talk about shows that I've already seen again, so I can Uh, remember. Yeah, that was an awesome show. Pat labor.
2: Yeah. Hmm. I do have to give a lot of credit, though, because that game show was a hell of a lot better than most of the other game shows that have been happening at conventions around here. And it was nice to actually be able to participate in one and have it be Pretty good.
0: Yeah, I thought it came off well. I wish I could have given away more of the DVDs that I was supposed to give away at the con, because I showed yeah. up there with like a big box of, like, gotta get rid of this, 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 and this.
3: I only gave away some. We have to see four or five years right. down the line if they're using the exact same questions.
2: Ugh.
0: That is reserved for the J-Con family feud, <laughs> which is a tradition, alright?
2: I wasn't gonna name any names, but... <laughs>
0: Anyway,
3: I guess we should probably uh, get on with other things. All right, yeah, things. We should
0: probably get to the news yeah. right about now, so we'll hit the music. Let's news! Working to restore power.
3: Okay, and we have some rather sobering news to say the least this is news that I'm sure that if you've ever followed any news within the past couple of weeks you've probably seen this on June 8 2008 Tomohiro Kato thought it would be a really good idea to drive into Akihabara with a uh, gigantic two-ton rental truck drive over a couple of people and then get out and then just start randomly stabbing everyone that he could get close to him he stabbed probably 17 people in the process the reason that we're talking about this at all is, first of all, it happened in Akihabara, which, if you don't know about it, we've talked about it a lot, it's supposedly the center of otaku culture, almost. This guy, this Tomohiro Kato guy, was, I'm trying to say this very carefully, because a shitbag? He was a total shitbag, <laughs> he was a loser, he was, he was a an horrible otaku. person. He was an Yeah. He was probably the most strict form of the word otaku that we can find. Not the term otaku that anyone should ever be proud of. The Wild Arms
0: hero kind. The me kind. Well,
3: yeah. <laughs> he would go to karaoke with his friends. He would only sing anime songs. And, that he, and he said he was only interested in the 2D world.
2: world.
0: Specifically, it was lowly anime songs or something. I don't know the details. I, I don't know about that. I want a track list.
2: Yeah, they didn't specify, but he did have some Moe curtain fire shooters and stuff like that.
3: There was practically nothing inside of his apartment, apparently. Yeah,
0: he owned virtually no possessions.
2: Wasn't he, like, super in debt? I don't think he could really afford very much.
3: They say he was part of Japan's working poor. Yeah. I'm actually getting that from Patrick Macias' blog.
2: Yeah. I think he, like, lived in a company dorm and was really in debt.
3: Yeah, I I heard that he wasn't really very high on his luck. Apparently he was smart enough that he went into a very good high school and then... Started doing very badly in school, and I don't know. Did he finish high school? I Probably think he not.
2: Did, but... but
0: basically, he's very much the stereotypical textbook. This is what an otaku personality type is, of course, minus the homicidal rampage part.
3: All I could think of when I heard this was resentment. Yeah, specifically. Which is a manga, by the way, yeah, it's the greatest
0: so. manga ever created, but it's specifically the part in one of the later chapters where a guy who thinks he's a god is uh, revealed that, no, you've been living an entire life of delusion, and this is what you really look like, even though you think you're like this, and he's a horrible, hideous human being, and he can't deal with it anymore, and he kind of goes crazy. The difference between that dude and Kato is Kato decided, if I'm going to go down, I'm taking uh, Akihabara with me. Or or I'm going to try.
3: What is, I guess, the only good thing is that he didn't kill himself, and that the jerk is still alive.
0: Such that he can be brought to justice. I kind of feel that... He probably would have killed himself.
3: I think he would had have had the yeah. cops Some way.
0: not intervened. I don't think this guy was going for the suicide by cop because, like it stated, there's tons of cell phone video footage and right. other sort of surveillance mm-hmm. things of this incident happening. He more or less immediately surrendered once the cops got to him. He did actually stab a police officer or so, but I guess once a police officer threatened to shoot him, he,
2: he yeah he surrendered once the cop pulled his gun. But it was kind of stupid because. Apparently, from what I was hearing, the initial cop that responded and was chasing him didn't pull his gun right away. He pulled his baton, hit the guy with his baton, and Kato, like, kept running and stabbing people. It took a little while before the cop actually finally pulled his gun.
0: Yeah, that incident has been heavily politicized uh, among certain people, especially NRA types. To say, oh, well, if everyone was armed, it's like, I'm more like, thank God he didn't have guns. But
3: Yeah, otherwise, just imagine what he would have done then. But in Japan... No, I'm
2: just meaning more like the cops right, probably could have cops. stopped him earlier yeah. if it, right. you know...
3: I almost think that the cops were like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Is this really happening, almost?
0: This is satirized in pat labor, but in Japan, police officers almost never, ever, ever draw their firearms. Right. And if they do, they have to fill out a great deal of paperwork... Even more so if they actually end up firing a gun. Maybe mm-hmm. the cops only end up getting trained in how to shoot a gun yeah. once a year if that But still,
2: when a dude is going crazy with a knife and stabbing like fourteen people or seventeen people. You would people think or whatever,
0: that is the time, but yeah. I guess there's so much training it's like don't pull your gun unless you absolutely have yeah. to. And maybe the cops are thinking,
3: Maybe is this is guy, absolutely guy, have yeah, to yeah, moments like, or right. is he really doing what I think he's doing?
2: Yeah.
0: It's hard to get into as far as that stuff goes. We can yeah. hindsight being 2020, we can look at this and say, "Oh, did yeah. this guy make the right call?" But, you right, know, right. sort of actually being there, it is difficult to say. But yeah, Kato surrendered to the police. They released some statements that he made during interrogations. He basically said, "Oh, he was tired of life." And he's not a very old guy. He's like 25. Yeah. He's
3: 25 years old.
0: It's almost certain that given the severity of this crime, he'll almost uh, definitely be put to death. It's a very, very long...
3: We'll get to the details yeah. of that in the next news segment.
2: Yeah, I was about to yeah, say...
0: because nothing illustrates it better than the next news bit. Yeah. I mean, everyone is talking about, oh, is this going to be the end of Akihabara as we know it? Matt Alt is definitely saying, oh, no way, Patrick Macise is saying, how can a guy killing people in the center of not change things? No, there's, there's two different, different
2: conversations going on, and people are conflating the two, because... There's people like Patrick Macias who first started when he broke the story first talking about specifically the impact on Akihabara.
0: The zone of Akihabara. Then
2: what happened and specifically what he's talking about is the fact that there have been other neighborhoods in Japan like Harajuku before this where the police started cracking down on things like street performers and just people kind of being out and about and all these different things street generally, culture sort of thing yeah generally yeah. no reason and those areas are still popular but it's not the way it used to it's be it's not like and, the
0: central hub of this is the right. place to go yeah. or and the really, goth right. lolis yeah, or whatever the street
2: I mean, culture the in the is area is pretty much dead and it's not really what it was
0: and so it's not like Otakudim is gonna die is what you're saying
2: right he's but talking specifically about akihabara and the fact that Akihabara had been getting a lot of media attention. There were news crews in Akihabara all the time, covering various different things. There's been a thing called the Hokoten in Akihabara for quite some time, where they close off some of the street. Yeah, it's it's been, only, it's been like 30 years Yeah, it, it's so. only pedestrians, there's no cars allowed to drive on it. And a lot of otaku and other people come out, they dress up in costume, and they do street performances. A lot of people probably have maybe seen some of the stories about the sexy idol who's been going out in Akihabara lately and flashing her underwear at the crowd. Basically, she's an older woman who's trying to get famous by flashing her panties in Akihabara. It's sort of working, I mean, she's getting a lot of media attention. And the police have already kind of been increasing their presence in Akihabara, and there's already been some indication that they might be cracking down. Now that a guy just went and stabbed a whole bunch of people in the middle of it, the police presence has definitely increased. There's cops all the time now in there. It's definitely cracking down. And so what he's talking about is specifically whether the police presence is going to kill the street culture in Akihabara and whether it's basically going to dampen the atmosphere of it.
0: But you're saying people read that and interpreted it figuratively. Yeah, the
2: problem is that after that, a whole bunch of Americans without context on Akihabara and what's been going on before this, and without some of the other context, the other thing is that there's been a lot of these incidents in Japan recently.
3: Yeah, this is like a copycat case. They have had
2: a wave of these kind of spree killings. And a lot of it is due to social pressure, like Gerald was talking about with this guy, and this issue of Japan's working poor. And there's all kinds of social issues going on. So this is not an isolated incident. But a lot of people on the internet don't really know this stuff, and they take some of these things that Patrick is saying or whatever out of context. And I think that there's also an issue of maybe some people... Don't really know about what we're gonna be talking about in a minute, and so they don't really actually understand what it really means to have somebody that has an impact on otaku culture in general. And so they kind of blew things out of proportion, and there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth of like, oh god, has he killed the otaku subculture? Blah, blah, blah. Nobody can be otaku anymore, because now everybody is going to think that all otaku are crazy spree killers. That's the kind of two different debates that are going on.
0: I do know there was one exceedingly insane individual who was very, very upset at the, the comments I left on Patrick's blog, mainly because they were too long and he didn't actually read what I said, and this sort of interpreted that I was saying the exact opposite of what I was actually saying, because reading is difficult. <laughs> and maybe I'll link right. to his blog just to laugh at him, but then he'd get traffic. So I'm not sure. Maybe that will happen. Check the show notes.
3: Apparently this guy text messaged this one BBS right. several hours before he was going to do this, and he was talking about how he was going to do this and everything, and it was all leading up to it. After this happened, again... Which, which shows
0: that it's a premeditated thing. It wasn't spur yes. at the moment. That's
2: Oh, no, he definitely yeah. planned it.
3: Which puts it into a whole different category. At least American law would put it in a whole different category. I don't know how Japanese law works. Right. And then after this happened, this gets weirder and weirder. They had a bunch of these live news reports from Akihabara they had this reporter out in the street, and then there were a bunch of these people behind her posing for the camera. Yeah. And Very happy to be on television. Her. Yeah,
2: people yeah, do there's that all in the, the street. time, and it's so fucking stupid, and it's so annoying. Yeah. Like, it yeah, a bunch here, of people too. just died, but woo, you're on TV! Yeah,
3: woo, look at me type of crap. And yeah. then the two-channel community saw this, and this hit the two-channel community pretty closely, and yeah. they were so upset over this that they actually put out this YouTube video that the day it came out was probably one of the most popular videos on YouTube for the day mm-hmm. which is unusual for a Japanese video. It just sort of zoomed in on the faces of these people and just said wanted. Guess we'll see what impact this has, but onto the other bit of the news.
2: Very interesting coincidence.
3: Did you ever see the movie The Hudsucker Proxy? Yes. Yeah, there's a for, movie, you know, that... for kids. Yeah. <laughs> There's a scene in that movie where the Tim Robbins character is just about to walk into this enormous building where he's going to get a job, right. and where he's going to rise up in the company, and at the very top of this gigantic building is the president. He gets up on this table, and as soon as Tim Robbins walks in, he jumps out and falls to his death. It's not really a because that...
0: this is the first like, no. three minutes of the movie. Right, right.
3: He's making space at the top of this company yeah. for this guy. Same vein, almost. <laughs>
0: You gotta make space for Tomohiro Kato to be this notorious otaku killer.
3: So, the otaku murderer, Tutomu Miyazaki, was executed. Kato
2: will never replace Miyazaki. He will never no. have the impact that Miyazaki had. He already hasn't. I mean, there have been a few media reports talking about Kato's moe collection, and there have been a few like yeah. ridiculous articles talking about His knife in conjunction with the Dragon Quest video games. But
0: none of them are going to match up to the impact that my neighbor Totoro had. Yeah, Miyazaki.
3: To give background on this, Tsutomu Miyazaki, he's called the otaku killer. Not Hayao
0: Miyazaki.
2: No, no, no. Tsutomu. Very different Miyazaki.
3: Not related at all in any way. This guy set kind of the bar... For crazy,
0: and he's more or less the reason why otaku is a bad word. Yeah, yes. single-handedly. And this thing,
3: to give you an idea of just how long this has been going on, we committed his
2: crimes in about, 1988, 1989,
3: and then he was just this executed took 20 years. very recently. So
0: 20 years overall.
3: Yeah, to give you an idea, if you go out and you murder a person, that puts you on one level. If you go out and you murder like five people, that puts you on another level. Now, all of these people that you murder are under five years old. And you kill them and you have sex with their bodies when they're dead.
0: Tomo Miyazaki, he murdered several young children. He cannibalized parts of them, sent body parts to the families, um, raped them. Cut off their heads and
3: the the uh, While they were both alive
0: and dead, all that stuff. Police raided his place. He had tons and tons of Lolicon porno.
2: He had a lot of horror movies too. Yeah, a lot of horror movies. Apparently, had the guinea pig collection. He
3: actually apparently modeled after one of the killings after one of the episodes of the guinea pig yeah. series. You could not call yourself an otaku after this guy did his thing for decades. Probably, Until Dencho Otako <laughs> softened it a bit. Yeah. And this guy just killed literally days after this thing happened. So, yeah, very, very unusual coincidence.
2: I think it's actually kind of comforting that as horrible as what happened in Akihabara is, Miyazaki finally being executed, I was kind of sitting there thinking about it, and it was like, you know, him being brought up again, and him being executed, and now looking at Kato in in conjunction with that, it was kind of like...
0: This is what he's gonna get?
2: It's more like, obviously what happened in Akihabara was terrible, and it may very well have an impact on the location itself. Maybe the otaku will go somewhere else, Kichijoji or Denden Town in Osaka or something. But Kato, I don't think, can ever impact otaku the way that Miyazaki did. Japan has put so much stock into using otaku stuff, anime and manga and all these things, to sell themselves across the globe. It's this worldwide export. And we've had Densha Otoko and Akihabara at Deep on television.
3: Tsutomu Miyazaki teach Japan the word otaku like in that sense
2: what do you like, mean like
3: I mean like popularize the phrase
2: okay sorry I thought you meant like they actually created it for him no no, no
3: I know that like that came it out on. yeah it's basically like this is what it is yeah, this I think, is what is. I think it is. probably
2: did popularize the term unfortunately with a lot of people so I mean Kato yeah I mean there's so many other incidents like this that While a few people can be sensational about it, there's just too many other people that are not connected to otaku that have done the same thing recently, I think, for the media to focus that much on it. So I guess it's kind of a little bit comforting in a way to think that, alright, Miyazaki was this horrible thing, and Kato, as shitty as he was, he will never be able to impact otaku in the way that Miyazaki did. Like, it's a different world it's Collection
0: not nearly as large?
2: It's a different world now. Otaku mm-hmm. have a different space in terms of the world.
3: Let's see, do we have any positive news?
2: I really, really love Funimation right now.
3: Yes, just two shows
0: ago, if reviewed a baseball anime Oki by the name kabute. of Big Freak Butt, or I mean, I'm sorry, Swing Big. <laughs> Yes. What's uh, what's the official title? Funimation has now licensed this show. It's going to come out in America. They licensed this big wind-up, yeah. And this is kind of a big deal because we always talk about how sports anime has never done well in America.
3: Yeah,
2: well, I mean, a few things have been licensed, but I didn't really expect them to get it because the industry is not doing very well right now. And for a company to take a chance on a show that's in a genre that is known to not generally perform well here in the U.S. I'm wondering, did Prince of Tennis do really, really well or something? No,
3: not at all. I don't think it
0: has, probably because the anime... DVD release for that is criminally ridiculous, much like the anime release of Hikaru no Go, which is also no, it isn't. It's
2: like the one for um, Naruto.
0: Oh, it is now box sets. Okay, I thought Hikaru no Go was like five episodes a disc.
2: No, it was released like that to begin with. I think the same as Bleach and Naruto. Yeah, I
0: do remember one of them had a ridiculous DVD number of discs for a seventy-five episode show or something like that. But Mm, maybe I could be I don't know mistaken. But anyway, yeah, baseball anime, sports anime in general, not. A surefire hit. Yeah.
3: Princess Nine, that was like a moderate success. But it wasn't
0: like the breakthrough runaway, everywhere you go there's Princess Nine costumers sort of yeah. thing.
3: Yeah. And, and I so mean, Hajime no Ippo, as we know... Colossally
0: is... famous for tanking, horribly. Yeah. But I guess maybe in this case, what Swing Big has got going for it, a Big Windup has going for it, is it is not extremely long. It's only, what, yeah. 26 episodes?
2: Yeah.
0: It therefore... Doesn't have to be 15 discs long, right? A thing to buy the way Ippo is, it's not like a 75 episode show,
2: right? right. Maybe
3: they'll release it like eight episodes at a time or something. So yeah, I'm really pick looking the forward to the easily.
2: release
3: details. It's a very weird release, and I hope it does well so that other more similar stuff shows like this can, can come
0: out in the sports yeah. anime genre, even though there's not a whole lot of it anymore compared to the heyday of sports anime, which was, of course, the 70s
3: and uh the 80s that's just kind of how things work i mean yeah
0: the sports anime like we always say it was the precursor to modern day shonen and now that there's shonen there's not a whole lot
3: of the older I sports thought that sports anime genre. was like the biggest in the 60s not anime but like uh, manga and, tag number uh, one was course, the 60s manga. star I of thought. the giants and i just remember seeing like a bunch of manga anthology covers from the 60s and every one of them had a kid throwing a baseball on it but yeah.
0: Mitsuru Odachi's career is yeah. built.
3: Yes, on a, yes it the is.
0: Baseball and the love triangle. But mm. as far as other groundbreaking, I never would have seen it coming. Who could have predicted this would happen? Yes. sort of news.
3: This news. I mean,
0: uh, last episode we talked about how no one could have seen Bandai Visual was going to fold. <laughs> I, I didn't see it coming.
3: And like we said, no one could picture that this would happen. But apparently, Peak is going to have its last issue in July.
0: What a surprise. How did this happen? It was entertainment for the rest of us.
3: Yeah. What went wrong? Well, apparently they say that it was a combination of low ad revenues, lack of proper marketing, and promotion and poor business management. Poor business management. That's posted on their website. But what annoys me is that a company doesn't really collapse for anything else than that. So <laughs>
0: Yeah, what else I think is it's mo- there? more just that I like, mean... an official employee of the company said, poor business management. Oh, that is that rough. Is not generally... They usually
2: don't admit that.
3: No. It's usually just like, it wasn't the right time for Peak or whatever. Right, <laughs> but, right. But yeah. yeah, this is
0: another Bandai Visual sort of case where they announced they were going to do something and leading up to doing it, everyone everyone, everyone said, this is a bad idea, mm-hmm. we don't want you to do that we're going to do it anyway, they did it, nobody bought it, just as they said they weren't going to do, and then it's over.
3: I remember they did an article on Avatar, and this is nothing against Avatar whatsoever, but people who are buying that magazine aren't really interested in Avatar.
0: Why is that specifically? It's because the people who used to subscribe to New Type USA, which is a very expensive magazine, you have to pay $80, $90 for a subscription to this magazine. People who would shell out that money for that subscription were presumably diehard anime fans, because, yeah. hey, you're spending $90 for a magazine with pretty pictures in it, and that's it. They had their subscriptions automatically transferred over to Peak.
3: So now they can read was... about Sarah Connor Chronicles.
2: And articles about, is anime dead?
3: Yeah.
0: I can understand the merit of launching a magazine that is basically a lot like all these other magazines we've got. Okay, that's fine and good in one thing, but when you take a built-in audience of people who are diehard anime fans, they are the ones who are going to be the most angry because they're the ones who paid their money for one thing and they're getting this other thing. Mm -hmm. So now that Peak is cancelled, the question is, what happens to these people? Do they get refunds? Or is it just us, sorry, no refunds?
3: I actually got a subscription to the official Dreamcast magazine. I got one issue and then the Dreamcast magazine folded. And I got no refund or anything. I guess the company just disappeared or whatever, so... I guess it's going to be a situation like that. So I feel really sorry for the people that put in their $80, $90 for New Type, and then the next issue, New Type, was peak. That must have sucked a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm glad it wasn't me. But all these things, really, is not doing so hot, what with a whole lot of these bad things happening. I mean, they didn't show up for their panels at a lot of different conventions. Everyone is just waiting for Anime Expo to see if they say anything.
3: Yeah, we're all wondering.
0: What is going on with the company, right now? Is it going to reorganize very much like how a lot of other companies are doing? Are they going to get
3: bought out? What's going to happen? Yeah,
0: is someone else going to come in and buy the company out from under them? Are they going to shut down? Who knows? Uh All we know is that they're not saying anything and that doesn't look very good to Hmm. people.
3: The thing is that the anime industry, I guess they brought this on themselves and that they were notorious for never talking about anything really
0: hold on let's clarify that they were very open with fans as far as sending representatives out to conventions and getting, yes they were uh, guests and the like and you could easily just go and strike up a conversation with david williams yes. or matt greenfield and they were very forthcoming with that absolutely and offering far far more access than say any other movie studio like you couldn't walk up to the head of warner brothers and say hey What's going on? Yeah,
3: the Weinstein brothers aren't exactly just available to chat with, so... Right, whereas
0: you can talk to John Cirabella. Yes. What Gerald means, that they're very non-forthcoming with, is anything related to business. Unless they're a public company and are forced to divulge quarterly things, they'll always bring up the defense like, oh, why do enemy fans even care? You shouldn't even be concerned with this, and et cetera, et cetera. We're concerned because uh, we care.
3: But the thing is, they had every right to be like that, because they're private companies, they don't have to disclose anything.
0: Yeah, That's, but this is what happens, is yeah. all I'm
3: saying, Yeah, when
0: you do that. You're free to make that choice, but don't be surprised when weird stuff happens. And, and we
3: think the worst. You can
0: argue so. that, oh, it doesn't matter what the internet thinks, but I guess it does matter what the internet
3: thinks. Maybe. So. Especially
0: if you're uh, not that big of a market, which anime is not, no matter how much they may think otherwise.
3: Anime is this weird thing where if you talk to like, the old schoolers, they will completely say anime is mainstream.
0: It's all relative. Yeah, I mean, to people like us, where, okay, we can remember having to put blank tapes in the mail, self addressed stamped envelope, mail them out to someone, get to know a guy who knew a guy, etc., mm-hmm. etc., cetera, et cetera, join a club, and that's the only way you're going to see anime. From our perspective, the fact that, yes, you can turn on the TV at 1 in the morning or whatever, and Death Note is on, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, we've made
3: it. Yeah. To someone else, anime is still a niche market.
0: Even though, like, oh, walk into any store, there's an anime section. Or not any store anymore, but let's say Best Buy, there's an anime section. Maybe it's not as big as it used to be, but hey, it's in a store you can just walk and buy anime. Wow, we've made it. That's how we would think about it. Because, hey, it definitely beats what we were doing before. Yeah. Yeah. However, in relation to other things, such as any other movie that you would get, one single film that is a reasonable hit in Hollywood is going to make more money than every anime DVD sold for a year.
3: Yeah, we talked about this a long time ago when you were saying uh, Napoleon Napoleon Dynamite, Dynamite, the DVD of that sold more than the entire anime industry. In Uh, just one week. Yeah.
0: A totally different
3: scale. Yeah, it's all relative.
0: And so, yeah, I don't know uh, what's going to happen, but we've seen all these companies either reorganize, fold, shut down, cease operations, or go dormant and so on and so forth.
3: Uh, Tokyopop, this was the other bit. We talked about them in the last episode where they were restructuring. And mm-hmm. part of that, apparently, is they're going to be posting some of their OEL stuff, even though I hate that term with a vengeance. A lot of it's going to be posted online, web-only. It's just not going to get a printing. I guess they maybe have a contract to finish this stuff up, so they're just going to do it the cheapest way possible. I don't yeah. really know.
0: Could be, but right now we're at the point where the viable anime companies left are Funimation... Bandai Entertainment and Viz, to a lesser extent, even though I don't buy a whole lot of Viz DVDs, but they're more a manga entity in my mind. Yeah, Viz
3: is probably, what do you think, Viz is doing the best? Because they've got all the biggest things. They've got all
0: the Shonen Jump stuff, they've got Naruto, they've got Bleach.
2: Yeah, I think since they're a subsidiary, they're fine.
3: Bandai Entertainment, as far as I can tell, is the last remaining traditional anime company I can think of. They're still, like, licensing and releasing stuff as we speak. Their panels and things like that.
0: Yeah. Funimation does that too, right? Yeah, I guess they do. Also, the thing is the Funimation is owned by a much larger company. Yeah, Navarre is the difference. Is and So Bandai Entertainment is kind of like the old style model of what the sort of anime ego sort of companies were like. So right now, the amount of anime that's going to come out is presumably going to be severely limited because there's not as many companies licensing things. This isn't the end of the world because before there were just too many. At least titles.
3: Well, yeah, and I guess there's always going to be Anamigo. I don't think Anamigo's ever going to die. I guess not, but
0: really, they're not something where you can buy their titles by just like, I want to buy Macross. You can't go to the store and buy Macross. I would like Yawara. You cannot get Yawara easily. Yeah. So they technically exist, much like how CPM technically exists, but yeah, they're not really significant at the moment. They're around. But not really in a position to do much.
3: Yeah, I'm very interested to see what happens with CPM. Since are they just going to just disappear very quietly, or are they suddenly just going to revive and start licensing stuff? Who knows? Anyway, we're in a very interesting time, I guess, in terms of the anime industry. What else do we have in news? There's, it's all pretty much very negative, except for one licensing announcement. <laughs> Let's end with something that is hilariously tragic. A man was buried by manga and discovered dead after this quake.
2: This is why I don't ever really want to live somewhere where they have earthquakes, because I'm always terrified of my shelves of books falling (laughs) onto me.
0: We live in a hurricane zone instead. Yeah, Yeah, I know.
3: (laughs) Well, at least you can see a hurricane coming. Yeah, apparently he was discovered dead in his apartment underneath several hundred manga volumes and magazines.
2: He didn't even have shelves. Apparently he just had thousands and thousands of manga stacked against all of his walls. Sort of like how my
0: situation is with DVDs and also (laughs) manga and also video games and also... (laughs) Magazine. He,
3: he, he died the way he lived, even though this article does say that an autopsy states that it might have not been related to the earthquake. I'm going to believe that it was, because that makes me feel better. But How
0: old was this guy? 37. 37. Wow, he lived seven years below his expected expiration date. Because the otaku expiration date is 30. So. Yeah. You know, Kato So how was much longer do you have, Daryl? A, a year and change. Unless, you should, you should unless, be the days. unless I'm saved from my otaku doom. Someone could save me, but you can't bank on that. It's very much like how, no. maybe karmically, this guy living longer is why, you know, Kato was 25 <laughs> before he went on his killing spree. He wasn't 30 to signify the end of his otaku existence. Okay, yeah, maybe he's going to be executed a couple decades from now, but you know it all maybe balances out so that the median is, is 30 years old. Hmm. The Wild Arms Hero's got to watch out. <laughs> I'm worried.
2: Why are you oh, so boy. obsessed with Wild Arms Hero, Daryl? He's
0: my, he is my Sith opposite. <laughs> if I am an otaku Jedi.
2: All right, everybody, start writing the Daryl and Wild Arms Hero slash now. You heard it I here. I guess. They're rivals, epic rivals.
3: As much as I love our listeners, they're not the type to put together like a doujinshi or slash fiction or unless anything like we,
0: so. oh, we made it wait. a
2: contest and
0: maybe gave away some blackjack posters <laughs> as incentive. There we go. Would you like a blackjack poster? We've got fifty. Send in your finest, or not. We should. <laughs> what we should do is have people work as operatives against other people. Like send in your. Paul Chapman and Sean Hollywood hunting slash fiction.
3: I think that's been written already by me, but oh. um, send
0: in your Dave Riley and Scabs <laughs> fan fiction.
2: And Gerald just turned into a transformer.
3: Uh, do you want to just go outside of the realms as well, like Dave Riley and Spike Spiegel? we started on tragedy and we ended on tragedy but one was hilarious and one was not (laughs) that's it for the news and on a serious note though our thoughts do go out to everyone that was involved in the kato incident seriously so i guess that's it for the news this week this is mike wong host of anime diet radio
0: and this
2: is benu from the anime genesis podcast
3: We're taking a break from our murderous rivalry to make an important joint announcement.
2: This Independence Day, July 4th,
0: Anime Genesis and Anime Diet are joining forces. We will be hosting a live panel this year's Anime Expo at 7pm in Room LP4, together forever.
3: And never to part? Wait a minute, I didn't know this was going to be a yaoi panel. I I will neither confirm nor deny that.
0: What the hell have I signed up for?
3: Same kind of
1: thing you signed up for every couple of weeks, Ray.
3: That's right, to make fun of my sexuality. Anyways, please introduce yourselves my sexy lovely co-hosts. This is Jeremy from Redondo Beach. And I, Raymond Hu from Taipei, Taiwan, will be there somehow in he, me, (laughs) too.
1: Join us on
0: July fourth, two thousand and eight, at seven PM in Room LP four at Anime Expo two thousand and eight.
1: See you then.
3: Psst. Hey, hey, don't we outnumber like uh, Genesis like three to one? You know, you're right. We do. Ooh, I know. Let's turn this into our panel. I've always wanted my very own panel. I've been waiting years for this opportunity. Yes. You know what to do, troops. Forward march! You'll take this panel from my cold, dead hands. In the name of Haruhi! Anime Genesis, an Anime Diet live show. 7 p.m. July 4th in room LP4 at Anime Expo 2008. Come see it. While they're still alive.
0: Get your hands off me, you damn dirty otaku! Hey, W.O., guess what I just
1: found at Walmart for a dollar? The Serpent and the Panda! Yeah! But nobody should buy it because it looks like shit. And the company that puts out these things are shit. But yeah, it's still awesome because it's Serpent and the Panda! But why didn't Discotech pick this shit up? Tell people about this because it's awesome! But also, it's not because they did a really shitty job and there's no original Japanese and the dub is completely 50s tastic.
2: I pretty much went over most of the basics about Blackjack in the previous episode, so if you really want to get a lot of information about the characters and their backstory and things like that, I suggest you go listen to that one. But you don't really necessarily need it, because unlike the OAVs from the 90s, this version actually does cover the backstory stuff. Like They do talk about Blackjack's past... I think they do also cover Pinocchio's origin and things like that in these newer versions. It's a lot more complete than the previous animation was.
0: Do you think Blackjack works better as a mystery man where you don't know too much about him?
2: I think that that works somewhat, but sometimes it can be a little confusing. I think it's not so much with Blackjack himself, but it's more maybe with Pinocchio. Pinocchio is a very kind of strange character if you don't, know her origin story. The first Blackjack I was ever exposed to was those OAVs from the 90s, and I just remember being really confused and weirded out by Pinocchio because it's like, all right, why is there a little girl? And then she acts kind of weird for just being like a regular little girl character. I mean, I kind of was able to just sort of go with it, but it didn't really make a lot of sense without having that information, whereas Blackjack himself is a little more workable, I think, without really knowing his backstory in detail. Yeah,
3: yeah, I was always wondering, like, what the hell she's doing there.
2: Yeah, it's very odd. She's a very strange character, and so it can be kind of distracting sometimes. Yeah. And I think also... It's easier to enjoy her as a character if you know some of that stuff about her, because the first time I watched those OEVs, I remember I didn't really like Pinocchio. She seemed just kind of weird and aggravating. But I think once you know more about her, she's a lot more understandable, and so she's a lot more likable. But like I said, regardless, I mean, they do go into that stuff eventually if you watch these newer animations. When I talked about the last one, I talked about the fact that it wasn't really very accurate to the Blackjack manga. Like, Dezaki sort of went in his own direction with it. It very much has his style. And all of the storylines, most of them do take certain elements or certain stories from stories in the original manga But what they usually do is they might take pieces from a couple of different manga stories and put them together. And then they usually also change a lot of things and add a lot of stuff in order to make a really different story. These new animations tend to be a lot closer to the original manga. If you look in the opening title on each episode, it'll show like the title of that episode. And then in the bottom corner, it'll show... This is the title of the original manga story that this is an adaptation of. And pretty much every single episode corresponds directly to one of the original manga stories. It doesn't mean that there's no differences whatsoever, but it's much closer. Also, the animation style is a lot closer to the original Tezuka manga. The OAVs had Akio Sugino's character designs, and they definitely looked like his. I mean, there were a few characters here and there that would come in that would be some of the the stock Tezuka characters who would look recognizable, but for the most part, it definitely looked like a Tozaki and Sugino show and not really like, oh hey, this is a Tezuka series. But the television series is a little bit more like some of the adaptations like Metropolis, where they stick a lot closer to Tezuka's character designs. So it's kind of funny because the OAVs in the nineties had such a high budget that they actually almost look newer. Right. Than yeah. the other series. Because a lot
0: of people they judge this looks old based on the character designs, not necessarily the animation.
2: Yeah, and really, blackjack television started in like 2004, so it's not old at all. It's just because the art style is Tezuka's art style, it looks more dated, I think, than those 90s OAVs do. Which might be an issue for some people, but hopefully people who listen to this show probably have read some of their Tezuka stuff and maybe, you know, are familiar with his designs and everything. Interestingly, I guess I should have mentioned this earlier, but the director for all of these new Blackjack animations is Makoto Tezuka. It's Tezuka's
3: son. Oh boy, so... Is and- he
0: like how Goro Miyazaki is a museum curator and they needed someone, or <laughs> does he have a background Um.
3: In- Well,
0: I believe he actually does have a background, but his background is in film.
2: Yeah, most of the stuff that's listed, at least if I look on Anime News Network, is these blackjack things. He is listed as a director on another OAV that I'm not familiar with. I think it's another Tezuka thing, uh, Akuemon. And it looks like he's done some supervision on things like the Pluto manga. And yes, uh, IMDB does list him as director and also writer and uh, some acting roles, too, in some various live-action movies like uh, Hakuchi and Synchronicity, aka Black Kiss, so, yeah, I think his background is more in live cinema than animation, but he does definitely work on some of these various Tezuka projects. So the original Blackjack TV, which was the first of these new animations to run, not counting um, in, I think, about 2000 or 2001, there was actually a series of web episodes that they did. Yeah,
0: the ones Hikaru Tata did, where she was oh. Pinoco.
2: Yeah, but those were not accessible outside of Japan. And then they did a promotional special in 2003 called The Four Miracles of Life. And but, did those um, end up
0: becoming, like, the first few episodes of the TV series?
2: Not really. I mean, they're all done by the same people. The Four Miracles of Life special is done by the same people as the television series. So they kind of do go into one another, like they fit together. But I don't know if the stories actually overlap or not. So you they can kind of might. think of it
0: as a prequel to the TV TV series,
2: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it doesn't really necessarily happen directly before the TV series. It's not so much uh, where they really lead directly into one another.
0: Did you actually you have definitely... the Viz manga of Blackjack?
3: Did anyone have those or read them? I've anymore? never even seen those.
2: I tried to order them, but they've been out of print for a while. And Viz said they had the second one in print. A while ago, I tried to order it, I think, through Right Stuff, and then they were like, oh, this has been canceled by the manufacturer.
0: Yeah, it's like Paul Chapman, he tried to order Yotspur Volume 6, and Amazon said, that title's been canceled. Doesn't look good for ADV. Yeah. But the point I was trying to make was, I recall the initial Blackjack specials of Formula Girls Life, maybe in the early TV series episodes, as basically being adapted from the manga that they released. Like, oh, I remember reading these stories yeah. in the manga that they released. Oh, here's the one about the doctor lost his scalpel inside my body in a right, <laughs> calcified right. and formed a bone yeah, around it. Or
2: it may just be a coincidence because I know Viz they didn't publish the yeah they didn't publish the stories in I don't order. Think. I
0: think they just picked a yeah, few.
2: Yeah, they just took selected stories. Like, oh, this stories. would
0: be a good story. Bunch of people trapped in a bank vault and there's no oxygen.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think kind of like how they do Golgo Thirteen where they just sort of pick stories here and there. So if they do correspond like that, I think it's probably just a coincidence. Maybe just those are popular stories, so they decided to start out the series with those as well. That could be it. So the television series ran for about 62 episodes, and then Blackjack 21 is a lot shorter. The television series, all of this stuff is being subbed. Blackjack TV is still in the process of being subbed because it's done very slowly blackjack 21 is only like 17 episodes technically it came after the blackjack tv series but because blackjack is a fairly episodic series even in the manga, weird that
0: they didn't make 21 episodes of blackjack 21 maybe the
2: dealer yeah, has yeah. to
3: stand
0: on 17
3: do you know how far they are with the tv series roughly
2: the last episode that i saw that got posted of the regular tv series was episode 38 and that was a couple months ago okay that was like back in february i think
3: and how many episodes is it so, all, all together again 50. um si- 62. Oh, 62 62 okay
2: 60 so they're they're a little past halfway through but yeah they're very slow because i guess it's not one of their popular shows that they're subbing so they do it but they don't do it very quickly yeah it's
0: super popular in japan because i mean it took inuyasha's time slot yeah. if i'm not mistaken yeah, yeah. it did
2: But like I said, even though Blackjack 21 technically comes afterwards, it's all been subbed because it was so much shorter than the regular TV series. And you can pretty much watch it. The only issue that you might have with watching Blackjack 21 is it deals a lot more with stuff connected to Blackjack's background. The very first couple episodes deal with Blackjack meeting his father again, so if you're not familiar with Blackjack's backstory, those episodes might not be as effective. They do sort of recap things a little bit, but that would really Be the only issue. I was sort of hoping that
0: Blackjack's dad would be more along the lines of Grappler Baki's dad. but that is not to be.
2: Uh, And then, of course, there's the Blackjack Two Dark Doctors movie, which you can pretty much watch wherever it's its own story. I did mention that even though these recent ones are a lot closer to the original manga than the OAVs, there are a few differences. I'm not sure if it's because of the time slot or because Blackjack is so popular or what, but the original Blackjack manga is a little dark. It was a shonen manga, so it wasn't like for adults. And Tezuka's stuff in general tends to mostly be pretty optimistic, but Blackjack is kind of this dark, mysterious character, and there are stories that end where he can't really save people.
3: The surgery is much less graphic than in the OAVs. Yeah. Like well, you don't see. Yeah, wasn't
2: the- <laughs> uh,
0: colossally graphic in the original comics. I, right. No, like the OEVs let me, is, you don't see like, him oh no, I'm wounded and there's a pack of hungry coyotes <laughs> around me and I must perform <laughs> surgery dingos, on myself with the shaving dingoes, Yeah. I'm, it's not the first time he's had to perform surgery
3: on himself no. before.
2: No, he does it a it's lot. It's like Dr. Giggles. Fact, he uh, without he the does giggling. it very early on in Blackjack 21 because yeah. he gets blown up.
3: <laughs> Although, um, there are certain moments that I do hope are animated very well as this one.
0: Yeah, cause the, it, but the OAVs in the movie, the first yeah. movie, were certainly like, okay, get a medical consultant and make sure this exploding heart looks genuine. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> yeah, they definitely went all out with the details in the surgery on that one.
0: And I should know, because as a kid who'd recreationally watched the operation on the Learning Channel, <laughs> I can vouch for their authenticity. Right. I was not laughing at the surgery, Dad. It's an odd physiological response that merely sounds <laughs> like I'm laughing. <laughs>
2: But even though the manga sometimes it could be a little darker, or depressing, Blackjack is a very solitary character. Like, there's Blackjack and Pinoco, and there are almost no other recurring characters. Dr. Kiriko pops up every once in a while, and some of the recurring characters are more like members of Tezuka's star system that he just used to be multiple people. Like, I think Rock is several different people within the span of the Blackjack manga, which is a little confusing but there's not really much of a supporting cast or anything, and...
3: What about that little friend of Pinocchio's? Was that Rock? I forgot the name of that what? guy. Pinocchio had that little, like, friend of hers that pops up I know that he was in at least two episodes that I saw.
2: Hold on. I'm sort of getting to that. Okay. There's pretty much no supporting cast, but in the TV series, I guess they wanted to make it just a little bit more family-friendly, so there's not really much of any blood. I think some of the stories that had depressing endings in the original one like, might have had happier endings in the TV series... And the other thing that they did was they basically created a supporting cast. They didn't really create them, create them as in like they made them up completely. But what happened was there were characters that would be in like one manga story. And then what they did was they adapted that manga story. And then those characters in the manga, they never showed up again. In the TV series, they just had them stick around.
3: Oh, right. Okay.
2: And so they kind of, I guess, made them feel, like, less isolated. So they have sort of a little informal family. They go to this one cafe all the time, and they know the guy who runs it. And then, yeah, Pinocchio is friends with uh, Shadaku, who is one of Tezuka's regular characters. He's this little kid. He's got a really big head, and he's got a cross-shaped bandage on his forehead. Yeah. It's because, um... The manga that he's from is the three-eyed one, and he actually has a third eye. Hmm. Similarly, in the TV series, they have a dog. And I'm pretty sure that in the original manga, the story where that dog was introduced, I think the dog died at the end. <laughs> but in the TV series, they decided to have it live, and now Blackjack and Pinoco have a dog.
3: Oh, but it would have been hilarious if he died. The only dog that
0: Blackjack is allowed to own is Beck.
2: Well, it is an ugly dog, but it's not that appropriate. But Blackjack 21 and the movie are a little darker. Basically, what happens in Blackjack 21 is they move a little farther away from the original manga, and what they do is, each episode is still pretty much based off of a manga story, but what they did was they took the story where Blackjack meets up with his father again, and then some of the stuff about Blackjack's backstory, and they kind of created this mystery conspiracy story. And so, Blackjack 21 is really all about this conspiracy, and Blackjack trying to figure out what's going on with it, which I don't think any of the conspiracy stuff was in the original manga. I mean, I could be wrong, because the entirety of the manga has not been out here and it hasn't really been scanlated or anything but I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the manga and so Blackjack 21 goes back to Blackjack and Pinocchio being more isolated because of stuff that happens in the series it's a little darker and similarly both Blackjack 21 and the new Blackjack movie have Dr. Kiriko in it and I don't think Dr. Kiriko ever appears in regular Blackjack television I think that was another element where like it was a little more they just held off on friendly that friendly. until
0: the movie, because how do you do a family-friendly euthanasia? Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. So, I'm not really sure why they did the difference in tone between the first series and Blackjack 21 in the movie. I don't really know like what the reasoning behind that was, unfortunately. Do you
3: think Blackjack 21, do you know if it aired at a different time perhaps?
2: I'm not really sure, mm. unfortunately. But all three of the new ones are the same staff. I mean, it's all done by Makoto. Tezuka. Of course, Akio Otsuka is the voice of Blackjack in everything. Right. Pretty much, so he's Blackjack again. And with the exception of those online episodes, it's pretty much always Yuko Mizutani as Pinocchio, and she's also in all of these new ones. So if you like Blackjack at all, I definitely recommend them. Some of the storylines get a little crazy.
3: In Blackjack? No.
2: Well, it's just in a different way than the OAVs, because the OAVs, they were kind of James Bond-ish.
0: If you can deal with the game Trauma Center, you can deal with Blackjack, <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. This is the one oh, where Oh no, he... birds are flying out of my ribcage. Do something, Dr. Blackjack. <laughs>
2: It'll be weird things like, because Blackjack is a genius and can operate on himself and he can also operate magically on animals because he just knows everything. And so there'll be weird episodes where like, this is the episode where Blackjack operates on a killer whale and it becomes his friend.
0: And he didn't even have to punch the whale in the face first like Luffy did in One Piece.
3: (laughs) I think I remember the very first episode that I saw was like him on a boat and it's like this rare cat or something gets injured and this guy and it's like, well, you're doctor obviously you've got the same talents as a veterinarian so you can operate yeah. on the on cat
0: blackjack i know everything about yeah. the remote Mote wild <laughs>
3: the wonderful i've got tuberculosis let me operate on you and cure that
0: if only the awesome yes. swordsmen and martial artists had dr blackjack on their side because they're all cursed with having tuberculosis because they're too awesome
3: well, the, in, in <laughs> tuberculosis
0: in anime is like generic sickness where you just cough up blood at random times to denote that you are sick, right. which is apparently what tuberculosis people do in anime.
3: Well, I guess they couldn't do like in the OAVs where one guy was infected with ghost snakes.
2: That was such a good episode. Yeah. And now every time Blackjack operates on somebody, I'm always like, shit, there might be snakes.
3: <laughs> Get out your samurai.
2: And I wonder if every operation after that, he's like, fuck, I hope there's no snakes in this person. Ghost, ghost snakes. Why did it has
3: to be snakes?
2: Because I don't have a samurai with me to take care <laughs> of the ghost snake, so I'm fucked. You've got his Yeah, scalpel. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Scalpels could work, but they could also go horribly tragic.
2: It's always really good when occasionally Blackjack fights people by throwing scalpels at them. Yeah,
0: it's like, I saw Demon City Shinjuku. (laughs) (laughs) Mephisto, you're kind of like me. I can do this.
3: Yeah, I was watching the show for a while, and I think the only reason I stopped was because the subs were taking so long to come out, but I really liked what I saw. It's definitely a very different tone.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't guarantee that if you liked those OAVs, that you'll like the new stuff. Right. I mean... Very different. Just because they they are different in tone and they look different and everything, but I think that there's still enough Blackjack being a badass and crazy shit happening that it's still pretty entertaining. I mean, the only complaint that I maybe have with it is I think this is maybe just a product of the manga. Because Blackjack is so episodic, like, it's usually these very short stories, and so every story that happens is done in, like, one episode. Right. So, on the one hand, it's good because they don't drag things out. But on the other hand, sometimes I kind of wish that they would maybe have taken a little more time with some of it and maybe some of this could have gotten a little more development or things could have had a little bit more to like sink in and be emotional. But What they should
0: do is they should have entire stories that are about playing up how terrible the disease is and then at the very end for two minutes Blackjack walks in does a surgery and walks out without so saying he's like a go to go. So he is exactly like <laughs> like Golgo thirteen only without the having sex with people and without the killing people he's He's the inverse Golgo 13, right, not right. the anti-Golgo 13.
2: See, I'm waiting for the epic Blackjack and Golgo 13 crossover, where Golgo 13 goes around shooting people, and then Blackjack operates on them and saves them. And so then they constantly,
3: it's like,
0: impossible. Golgo keeps trying these to kill shot these people. the head
2: from 500 <laughs>
0: meters <of> this customized <laughs> Blackjack
2: could do it. Hold on, I Blackjack could do a brain transplant.
3: Even though his brain is, like, completely gone, he can Heartland. do it, <laughs> I think that maybe they should just go the initial D route and just have an entire episode of Blackjack approaching a vein, and then the talk between, you know, the wrist motions and the things like that. (laughs)
0: Blackjack is a surgical machine, he doesn't need to <laughs> Yeah. The only thing he has to worry about is in Blackjack twenty one is Lawrence Fishburne's gonna show up and start breaking people's legs and be like, oh no, <laughs> wrong movie.
3: Uh.
2: Yeah. So I don't know. I think if you like Blackjack at all or you're interested, you should check it out. It is definitely different from those OAVs, so maybe you'll like those OAVs, but you won't, you know, like this one. And I hope you like Pinocchio because she wasn't really in the OAVs She's and the all movie over very the TV much. Show. Yeah, she's in the TV show a lot.
3: She's not easy to like.
2: I think she's easier to like, like I said, when you know what her deal is, because she's a much more interesting character once you actually find out where she came from than, you know, when she's just, oh, some weird kid who's running around screaming at Blackjack and calling people cake-faced hussies. It's a tragic
0: past that is the same tragic past as Clan Klein, Klein and Macross Frontier. Think about it. Except
3: different. Uh, Not nearly as hot as Clan Clan, anyway. Well, The
0: kid version, Gerald?
3: No. <laughs> That's the wrong version. Just
0: making sure (laughs) you have to specify, is all I'm saying. Because Japan will get the wrong idea.
3: Well, they already had the wrong idea. I've seen the doujinshi. By making that character. Yep. Anyway.
2: I'll probably come back to Blackjack again once the manga comes out from Vertical and give you an update on how that is. So, look forward to that.
0: The big question. Can Dr. Blackjack operate and get... Joey Diggs out of my head where he has resided for about 15 years? That is the question. Otherwise, the only treatment I know for getting Joey Diggs out of my head is to put Joey Diggs in everybody else's head. Whenever-
1: I'm Emily from Massachusetts. I'm a big fan of your show, and a couple days ago, I've been thinking, oh, anime world order is kind of still so entertaining. Want to check out a video podcast as well, you know, just to kind of compare and see the differences and stuff. Unfortunately, the one I had selected was Anime TV, and wow, uh, <laughs> I have to say, I just completely agree with Daryl's idea about ratings like 8.3, 8.5 for anime. Can't you just say like a show is either good or not good? I don't see why there needs to be this little percentage, decimal point. I don't know, whatever. I also noticed that even though they have this super kind of high-tech show set up, all these cameras and stuff, their show is just so much less entertaining than your guy's show, even though you have microphones and stuff. And so I thought that was just kind of interesting. I was trying to think about why this was. as it's probably because they have a billion different hosts. They have probably like a dozen guys working on the show just giving their opinions and stuff. You guys have, what, three people? But I think you guys all really tend to agree somewhat most of the time. And I don't know, I just felt like maybe they're trying to appeal to kind of every single fan out there because overall the show isn't really that great. They kind of have to say, oh, let's bring in like 10 different people so maybe one of our watchers will like this person instead of, you know, these nine other ones. Yeah, well, just wanted to say, Thank you for being born, you guys, because your podcast is just so much better than this one. Let me tell you, your show is just wow, so much better than theirs. Even though it's an audio, and you think video, you know, visuals more entertaining. Really, really not. So, just wanted to call in and voice my opinion, my thanks for you guys running this fantastic show. Talk to you guys. Well, not talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>
3: Tekkon King Crete is certainly something that breaks the anime mold in almost every way from how it looks to the production staff to how it was made to even the material that it wants to cover. Tekkon King Crete is a 2006 movie that is directed by Michael Arias, more on that later. And is based on the manga by Tayo Matsumoto, which was released in the US like 10 years ago or more, and it was released as Black and White, and it's been released again as When you say it's
0: released as Black and White, obviously since the manga, it's in Black (laughs) and White, but no, the title of it was Black and White.
3: Yeah, the title was Black and White, and now it's been re-released as Tekkon Kinkreet. The movie itself is set in a sort of Tokyo of the 1960s that never really existed. The architecture of the world is extremely fanciful and very elaborate. The entire world is extremely colorful, but at the same time, it's extremely dilapidated and depressed. The town that it's set in has seen better days, and the town in question is called Treasure Town. The movie itself is about two of its main inhabitants, two young boys named Kuro and Shiro, black and white. The boys are what are known as cats, in that they're sort of strays or orphans, and they have to fend for themselves. They generally make a living by pickpocketing anyone who's around them. The two of them live in this little sort of canal under a bridge in this clamped-out Volkswagen Beetle that's got all of these anime and tokusatsu things adorned on it from the 60s and 70s. Black is the older of the two, and he's about 14 years old or so. Rather an insane little guy, and he's kind of good with fighting very large and very dangerous men. At one point in the movie, he climbs up an entire building and then takes out a full room of Yakuza. White is a... uh, Very different sort of character. He's about 11 years old, but he acts like a three-year-old.
2: Is there a reason for that? Like, is he mentally challenged, or is he just...
3: He's developmentally disabled, I guess. Okay. Does he have TARD strength? TARD strength? No. (laughs) You'll very often see White just kind of wearing very childish animal hats. Black is extremely protective of White, to the point that he'll be pretty violent around anyone that might harm White and, as I talked about before that, includes the Yakuza. Very early on, the Yakuza start to move into this treasure town, and they sort of plan for redevelopment of the area. However, Black doesn't want any of this. And while Black does do some major physical harm to the Yakuza, the development contract eventually goes forward to a guy named <laughs> Mr. Snake, who looks and acts pretty much the in part. The guy is so determined to get this project going that he'll even hire, like, Super Saiyan aliens to work for him. I'm only partially making that part up.
0: So he's like Cobra Commander.
3: Yeah, pretty much. And the Yakuza, by the way, are led by a somewhat young guy named Kimura, who, I guess if you're part of the Yakuza, you're really not a good person in any way, but...
0: I thought the Yakuza were benevolent people who really care about society.
3: According to the Sega video game, yeah, I guess.
0: And also everything involved that involves the Yakuza, because... If they negatively portray the Yakuza in Japanese media, the real Yakuza will find you.
3: And kill you. Yeah, That's why
0: Kill Bill has to be made here, because nobody cares about the Yakuza in America.
3: Yeah. That's what I've heard about those video games, that they're very positive about the Yakuza. But anyway, yeah, he's kind of this Yakuza guy with a heart. And generally all he wants to do is just get out of this old, dilapidated town with his girlfriend and just move somewhere safe. That's kind of where the story of the movie goes. It's an extremely interesting movie. When I was watching it, one of the movies that came to mind was the first Pat labor movie. And one of the themes that was running through that first Pat labor movie was the rapid development of Japan. That sort of runs through this movie as well. In fact, the title of the movie, Tech on Kingcrete, is kind of a pun on the word concrete. Although, ultimately, this is a movie about how these two children are trying to survive, and how they're actually... Extremely dependent upon each other, even though you'd think that white, having the mind of about a three-year-old, should be more dependent on black. Tech on Concrete is absolutely a feast for the eyes. In fact, this movie is probably a wet dream or maybe the worst nightmare ever for any background artist. <laughs> the movie was done by Studio 4C and is one of the most beautiful anime movies I've ever seen, period. And it's also incredibly unique in how it looks. I guarantee you, you will not see another movie in anime that looks even remotely like this. Like I said, it's set in this sort of Neverworld of the 60s, and virtually every single frame of animation could be still framed just to look at all of the detail in the background, which is kind of an interesting contrast because the main characters in the movie are all sort of very simply designed.
0: So would you say this is a movie where a story isn't that important, it's more like just a very visual film...
3: No, I wouldn't say the story is unimportant. I would say that the story is important, but not nearly as important as it should be. I'll elaborate on that.
0: All right, just because I always remember whenever people bring up this movie, they bring up Tech on and Paprika often in the same breath, probably because Sony released both of them here.
3: Around the same time, both of them work beautifully with Blu-ray. This is something that if you see it, you really should see it on Blu-ray, just because of the astounding detail in it. As for the manga of Tekken: King Creed, I've actually not read the manga, and there's actually a reason for that. Normally, I would actually go out of my way to try to find the manga and read it before reviewing this as well. But when the movie came out, a lot of people were saying that the movie left too much open, or it didn't explain anything, or it left you sort of clueless, and that you had to resort to the manga to really fill in the details. And so I kind of wanted to see if, without reading the original source material, if This movie was something I was able to understand if it was able to actually stand on its own. Personally, without having read the manga, I can confidently say that I really didn't feel like I missed much. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I didn't really feel like I didn't understand anything. The problem is, though, that even though it seems like all of the elements are there to make a good movie, the movie resorts to some really annoying cliches. Worst of all, it seems to kind of lack that one thing that really connects with the audience at least certainly with me emotionally it's got all of these scenes with the brothers together and you'd think this would have a great impact but for some reason it just doesn't it just kind of feels dead and it's hard to explain it's a very strange film because the screenwriter of this was actually as far as i can tell a friend of the uh, director a guy named anthony weintraub and as far as i can tell all this guy has ever done was he did some dialogue for the animatrix that's about it So as far as I can tell, this is his first professional film gig. So I don't know if maybe he wasn't experienced enough to really add to that. Really, ultimately, it comes down to the director to produce a good product. But it's very strange to watch this movie where all the elements seem to be there, but it lacks that one thing that really makes a movie a lasting experience. I was also talking about clichés. One of the cliches that I really get annoyed with in anime, and anime uses this a lot, especially in anime movies. Armageddon used it, Evangelion used it a lot, those two come to mind. I'm not 100% sure if there's a specific word for it, but it's the technique where a character will go into some sort of dream sequence or out-of-body experience where... Things are all explained to him, and then suddenly everything becomes clear, then the world is all fine. Something
0: that happens at the end of the movie because they need a reason to wrap everything up well.
3: That does happen in this movie, and I'm not saying that if they do this in a movie that it can't work, but they do it in the movie and it certainly doesn't work. A lot of this movie feels like it was kind of done in order to show how great this animation can look. The sequence that I'm talking about is certainly one of those times, because it looks amazing. There's these dream sequences that are done with, I believe, watercolor and pastels, which are beautiful. But you're watching this, and it goes on forever, and I was just like, this had really better mean something or do something, because it's really not having any impact on me. That's kind of the feeling that I was left with. You can make as nice-looking a movie as you possibly can, but there's always going to be something that comes along that looks better. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that thing that comes along looks better, you're going to forget about that first thing. So
0: you mean to say you don't remember Wonderful Days, man?
3: Oh, yeah, Wonderful... Well, that was such a memorable movie to begin with. The
0: city runs on pollution.
3: (laughs) Oh, that was was a really awful movie.
0: You mentioned the writer was a guy named Anthony Weintraub, and the director is a guy named Michael Arias. These aren't very Japanese-sounding names.
3: Yeah, this is what makes this movie unique in that... This is the first anime movie directed by an American through the Japanese channels. Now, there's been movies like The Hobbit, made in America, and then they shipped it to Japan, and then they had a Japanese you know, animation team put it together. But this was an American guy living in Japan who had actually... Previously, he worked on The Animatrix, and I think he might have worked on Standalone Complex as a CG animator. And living in Japan, he went through the same channels that every other Japanese director goes through, and he directed this in a Japanese studio with other Japanese animators. And he
0: also speaks Japanese
3: fluently. The biggest requirement if you actually want to be like him. So this is the first time this has ever been done. And it's so sad that this is the first guy who's ever been able to do this and the director's commentary is so unbelievably dull. <laughs> Why do you think that is? You know what? If I were to say the reasons I think people would get angry with me, but I'm going to say it anyway, this guy is a computer programmer.
0: Yeah. Michael Arias is the guy who, whenever we talk about cell shading, like games that are cell shaded, or this anime was made using cell shading, everyone knows what I'm talking about. All the Dragon Ball mm-hmm. Z and Naruto games and stuff use this. Jet Appleseed movies, yeah. Jet Set Radio... Etc. Etc. They're all cell shaded, and the way that they produce this is they use a plugin or a you know add-on thing called Toon Shader, which works with a program called Soft Image 3D. Mm-hmm. Michael Arias created Toon Shader. Mm-hmm. That whole look of all these things, they all use his program, so he's the master of using that. Yeah. And we always talk about like, oh, sometimes things can look weird with the cell shading because it doesn't really look right maybe people can't use it quite as well as he can but Mm -hmm. that's how he got his start programming this thing and maybe okay you can do graphic arts and stuff like that because you're right he worked on various things but when you listen to the commentary track on this thing it is kind of obvious that he is this sort of borderline stoner, computer programmer kind of guy.
3: (laughs) He's a genius programmer, but I guess when it comes down to it, the computer programmer mind is not the same mind that you want to go at when you create something that's supposed to be emotionally gripping. The movie seems like it was made in a sort of a very clinical way. It moves from one scene to another, and there's this scene with the brothers and all of them. The commentary almost moved in a clinical way, too. He just kind of talked about how a lot of scenes were done, which is interesting. But he's the first guy to do this. Doesn't he have anything more interesting to say? Doesn't he have anything to add to the movie at all? He really didn't.
0: As the story goes, he actually didn't even want to be... The director of the film. He kind of ended up just yeah. being the director of the film because no one else wanted to
3: do it. Yeah, Koji Morimoto, I believe, was involved.
0: Well, of course, since it's Studio 4 Degrees Celsius, yeah. which is his studio. And then he yeah. didn't
3: really have any interest in it, and then I guess Arius well, just kind I of took Who out. was the
0: president of the studio? Eiko Tanaka? I don't
3: remember his name, but. I don't remember either.
0: When Michael Arius was working on the animatrix, they had some segments in that that 4C did specifically beyond, and so that's probably how he got to know Koji Morimoto. This, as far as I can tell, is the first anything that he actually was the man in
3: charge of. Yeah, this is definitely the first thing that he had as much control over as he did. Yeah, he didn't have
0: any TV shows or shorts or anything prior to this. It's just here, theatrical film.
3: Yeah, and... I'm not sure if he's going to get that opportunity again.
0: Well, how did the movie do?
2: Mm,
3: Honestly, no clue.
0: Okay. It had a very limited release here in the U.S. 4C in general, their films aren't very financially viable. They're always very indie, very strange. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, even the TV shows they make are not things that typical anime fans like. Mm -hmm. We talked about Kaiba in the opening segment. That's a fine example of a lot of anime fans don't like that show. They're like, oh, this is too arty or not interested in it or I'm bored by it or whatever. It's Mm -hmm. too weird. Mm -hmm. And so the traditional thing where people say, oh, they want something different. But this is a little too
3: different. I don't know if he'll do another movie. This is something that I would recommend picking up on Blu-ray a couple of years from now. When When it's not $35. Mm.
0: There are sales often. Amazon, maybe, or sometimes some other stores where they have, like, two for $30. A lot of times, Tech on Concrete is in there. Mm-hmm. Not every time. Maybe want to look out for that. I would say, if you can get this movie for $15, that's a pretty good
3: mm-hmm. deal. $15, yeah. If you find it for 10 or less, definitely. It's worth that, at least. It's certainly not an awful movie. It's just emotionless.
0: For a multitude of reasons, many of which have to do with the fact that Michael Arias had no ambitions of ever being no. an anime director. He It's just... Through circumstance. It's kind of like if you were working somewhere as an accountant and they said, okay, guess what? You're now in charge of this TV show. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, okay, well uh, I'm good at balancing books but I don't know if I'm necessarily good at making a show Michael Harris is kind of a more technical kind of guy yeah obviously he's a fan of black and white the original comic
3: yeah apparently he was the one who was spearheading this to get made
0: yeah he was the one pushing for it for it's, it's like a decade now or something like that he was always yeah. pushing for this movie to come out since the 90s because that's when the comic book first came out roughly around then it's only three volumes long I believe the viz re-release is just one
3: big yeah. book yeah that you can buy
0: these days, so it's a fairly short read. Sane and manga. It was originally released under Pulp when Biz yeah, was doing that.
3: It was actually done in 1992 or so. When Early a lot of, 90s. Yeah. I don't
0: remember exactly when. But yeah, it's interesting because Michael yeah. Arias. I mean, when, in previous shows before I got on the Wicked City bandwagon train, I was talking about the amount of prominent new anime directors because most of the anime directors and even people working in the industry, they're all pretty old guys. There aren't very many people under the age of, say, 40, or even maybe 30, that are working in anime. And Michael Arias is not a very old guy. So he could be considered, in in a sense, an up-and-coming sort of talent. But, again... Maybe he should stick
3: to writing programs. It's kind of a disappointing movie. I don't know if he made some more, if he would get better, if he realizes what the movie is lacking.
0: Hmm. All I know is... All these guys are getting older and older and older, mm. and there's not really a next generation that's really ready, to, at least in mass. I've been talking about a few guys here and there for the past few episodes, but there's not a whole lot of people waiting in the wings to step up. Maybe it's because there's been a lot of creative drain from the anime industry into
3: other right. things. Like video games? Video and- games is the big well, one. Well, I, I mean, can think it of. seems
2: like. It seemed like it was a really hard industry to be in, you know, you didn't get paid very much.
3: And you had to be
0: in it for like 15 years Yeah, so they'd say, okay, direct something. And you would have to work incredibly
2: yeah. long hours. It's kind of like some of the stuff we're seeing with the video game industry now, and I think there's just only so long that people can deal with that. I mean, it's all well and good to say, oh, I really love this, so I want to do it. But just because you really love something doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to have an army of people saying, yeah, I'll work 80 hours a week and make no money.
3: Funny you should say that. There was actually just a news story where they were, I don't know if this is something that's happened a lot of times, but the animators in Japan were just banding together to create a union. Yeah. Unionize themselves so they can get somewhat decent pay right. and decent hours and all that. But Michael Arias was kind of like a hope because I guess the guy is like under 40 mm-hmm. and would be nice. But. I guess if he's not got really the ambition to create anime at this level, then what's to say that he should be doing it at all?
2: Yeah. Hmm. You'd think with as much as they charge for anime in Japan that they could pay their people more. I wonder where it all goes.
3: Because it's got like 12 channels to go through and everyone has to get their cut. That's true. So maybe if they paid the guys a little bit more and shortened the channels, then they wouldn't be paying $60 for three episodes.
2: Maybe that'll be another benefit of digital distribution.
3: Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, as you can see, there's not as much to say about Tech on King Creed as I kind of thought.
0: Yeah. It's a very strange film in a, in a lot of ways. It's yeah. very much a curiosity. I mean, Michael Arias is clearly not a kind of person. Even though he's the first American guy to direct an anime, he's not like, say, uh, Jan Scott Frazier or various people who you meet at anime conventions where they see anime and are like, that's what I want to do. I want to... Get a job working in the anime industry, so I'm gonna I'm gonna learn Japanese and I'm gonna go over there and I'm gonna try and get in and hear people talking about this. Michael Arias isn't really that much of an anime otaku kind of guy.
3: I actually don't know how he got into it. Like I know he married a Japanese woman and he's got some kids. I don't know if he well, just he like, just
0: liked that one manga and one he manga, made huh? like a little 30 second animation not really a movie maybe it's just like a shot to demo his software mm-hmm. and that's kind of how he ended up meeting the four c guys by just showing that around then they made another maybe a little longer demo film for tech on concrete and it just kind of spiraled from there
2: mm-hmm.
0: the toon shader plug-in was hey guys use ToonShader, shader check out this thing you can make and that's how tech on concrete sort of started we've seen this being used in a lot of places now i mean even almost um,
3: overused now so yeah
0: I personally think the best usage for his Toon Shader program is.
3: DBZ Burst Limit? <laughs> G-
0: DBZ Burst Limit is <laughs> exceptional too, but I mean, as far as anime goes, I think it definitely, I've said this before, but I think it definitely excels as far as being used to animate mecha, being mm. used to animate backgrounds. I don't know necessarily how well it looks when you use it to draw people, because a lot of times the. D-
3: faces well, wasn't don't look Freedom right. done like that? Yes. And Freedom looked. I didn't like the look.
0: Yeah, it's very expensive, and I don't like how it looks. But, I mean, there are things like, say, the Super Robot Wars OAVs or the new Votoms OAVs and maybe some of the Gundams and stuff like that where they draw the mecha using this CG program, and it looks very good. And even, like, Studio Ghibli has used this in Princess Mononoke and a few things here and there, Spirited Away, but you can't tell because they're so good at making it look seamless. And I think that's really where the Toon Shader stuff has to go. This movie, Tech on Kinkreet, is, of course, very heavy in the CG
3: mm-hmm. and that
0: sort of thing, because, of course, Michael Arias is a CG guy.
3: Admittedly, it's, but it also it's not looks, painful. Yeah, you, you
0: can't really look at that yeah. and say, that was done with a computer. Maybe because he's just the master of using the program, for all I know.
3: Yeah, and it would be nice if he didn't sound so goddamn bored on the commentary and talk about more things. But It's yeah. so
0: weird, because there was an Anime News Network video interview with Michael oh. Arias. You could tell it how heavily edited it was, either because he just start wandering off into some tangent that goes nowhere. If you go on their website, Anime News Network, and look at their old video interviews, you'll see this Michael Arias thing. You just look at how it's edited. Like, he just like says a sentence, and then maybe it has to cut to like video of something, mm-hmm. so it's so not it obvious like that jump. his face is jumping from here to there, sentence and sentence. It feels very much like they pieced it together to get like, something coherent out of it. Maybe that's how Michael Arias is. I don't know. I don't know, maybe. Patrick Macias swears he is not a stoner.
3: I can believe that. Maybe he's just a super laid-back guy. I've met those people who are not stoners, but, yeah, he just was so bored and had nothing to say. It's one thing if it's Mel Brooks who has got an enormous repertoire to fall Even back his on. his
0: commentary tracks are terrible, though.
3: But the thing is, he's, he's allowed to have terrible commentary <laughs> tracks, because he's got great... Because he's made something cool. He's made something really good.
0: You were talking about the nature of Treasure Town and how it's getting rebuilt and all these things. What's it getting rebuilt from? Like, is it just nothing there, or what?
3: No, there's actually, like, a town there.
0: The town is actually a shitty, run-down, sort of slum sort of town.
3: Yeah, it's basically a slum.
0: If you've ever seen the movie City of God...
3: <laughs> yeah, apparently he showed City of God to the animators, too. Yeah, he was before big this. into that,
0: and you can kind of tell. You can read some interviews with Michael Arias. So, Taka USA, the second issue or so, had a big Tech on Concrete feature mm-hmm. written by Aaron from the Ninja Consultants. She got to say shit in her article. I don't get to swear. It's not fair. You can also read an excerpt of an interview with Michael Arias on OtakeUSA magazine.com's website. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, he's actually working still on little things here and there. And he's also, I mean, when I say he, I mean Michael Arias, he's also doing some live action stuff now so i guess he's still doing things i mean he has been working in various levels regarding anime and that stuff for at least you know 10 15 years now if he started in the 90s be not as a director
3: which is fine because obviously he's not really got the talent as a director but he's definitely got the talent as a cg animator
0: your overall thoughts on tech on concrete is this one people should watch avoid go out of their way to see
3: My feeling is they should watch this if they can do it cheaply. It looks beautiful, and for just the uniqueness and how it looks, it's worth watching, but it will leave you empty and flat, and you're going to wonder why.
0: Okay, so it's not like, this is so bad, it's a waste of my
3: time. No, it's definitely not. It's not a waste of time, it's just, again, flat. And it's really unfortunate. Super
0: flat? It's Studio 4C!
3: That's a bad word, but yeah, pick it up. If you can find it for under $15, I wouldn't pay any more for it, and definitely try to watch it on the <laughs>
0: rain. We have talked about a great deal of types of anime and manga in this show, but there are so many genres that we'd never be able to cover them all. Part of it is because a lot of it just doesn't get translated into English here, or we just never see anime made from it, and that sort of thing. And I think one of those we're going to try and alleviate or cross it off the list, because this has been heavily requested of us for a while now, and I think now is the time to let everyone know about this title. And I think a good way to set up what you're in store for is by saying the full title of it. I said in the intro that I was going to review a show called Kaiji. However, the full title of this anime is Gambling Apocalypse Kaiji, the suffering pariah, the ultimate survivor. And that sums up what this kind of thing is about. Kaiji is a gambling Anime. It's based off of a very long-running manga by the same name, by a guy named Fukumoto Nobuyuki, a guy who he just pretty much makes gambling manga.
3: And he can draw one character as his main character, and that's it. <laughs>
0: it's just like how all these famous manga artists are, where they reuse their character designs. He's like that too.
2: He seems to be in stiff competition with Nobatera Yuki over yes. noses that can inflict great amounts of damage <laughs> to
3: Precisely. And chins. If you got spiked with this guy's chin, then... Yeah. yeah.
2: His artwork
0: is very, very ugly artwork with the highly angular faces and super duper pointy chins and noses. You can yeah. never walk through a TSA airport check <laughs> with this chin or this nose because you could stab somebody to death with it.
2: They look better in the anime screenshots that I've seen than in the manga scans.
0: On top of that, they've also got the 1970s style Gona guy, Get-A-Robo, like, everyone's got the very thick black outline around them, and <laughs> it's kind of interesting.
3: Yeah. I actually know people who have refused to read stuff or watch stuff from him because they think it's just too ugly.
0: Yeah. It's no surprise that gambling manga is traditionally a Seinen genre. It kind of started in the late 1960s around the same time as all the Gekiga stuff was going on and the sports anime was coming up. And I think the best way to describe gambling manga is sort of a amalgamation of those two things. Because gambling manga is traditionally very, very manly sort of thing. (laughs) And it's not quite a sport. It's more like they're playing a game, but they're very similar as far as what those are. People always argue about, well, what's a sport and what's a game and that sort of thing.
3: Or a pastime or whatever, yeah. Yeah. A lot of them that I've seen generally are made for like the audience who are very big into gambling already. Right.
0: Right, which is generally speaking, older men.
3: Mm-hmm. Basically,
0: yeah. the origin of it is Mahjong manga. That's like its
3: own beast. Yep. The Mahjong manga. Aren't there multiple Mahjong anthologies?
2: And if you're like me and you don't understand how to play Mahjong, you will never be able to watch those shows because nothing will make any sense.
3: No, no, no.
0: Guess what, Clarissa? The secret of Mahjong manga is you don't have to know jack shit about the way Mahjong is actually played (laughs) to write a Mahjong manga. Really? even a monkey can draw manga. Because it seemed
2: really confusing. The ultimate
0: authority. Even a monkey can draw manga. They're like, but I don't know about how to play Mahjong. it's like... It doesn't matter! The important thing about doing the awesome Mahjong manga is just to do something crazy. And even if you don't know how to draw tiles, there are people, (laughs) assistants for manga in Japan, whose specialty is just drawing Mahjong tiles. (laughs) You got the hookup.
3: Isn't that a horrible fate? Your entire career is drawing squares. Here's the ultimate
0: secret, though, of what the Mahjong manga is all about. It's just the crazy face. There was the running gag that they had, like, a editor of a magazine, and he just always kept saying the same line throughout the book, like, what, you can see your pussy, or whatever it was, and he <laughs> just has this weird, bizarre face. And they're like, having the weird, bizarre face is the key <laughs> to Mahjong manga. And I remember several, several months ago, a couple of different podcasts reviewed Akagi, which was also a manga from Fukumoto Nobuyuki that got uh, adapted into anime, and they didn't really like it that much. Anime Pulse were like, yeah, this was okay, and GeekNights were like, what the hell, this show sucks, I know how to play Mahjong, this has nothing to do with Mahjong. This is just bullshit, and Mahjong is it's not even a game of skill. It's just <laughs> like, you do bullshit and you win. Is that the Geek Knights guys talking? That was what they said, but it's also largely okay. kind of <laughs> true, because that's kind of the whole appeal of what makes gambling manga awesome. The idea is it's one thing to, you know, have a sport where you train and you become really good at the sport and through hard work become like a a manly man. But maybe the next step up is you are such a manly man, the manliest man just totally entrusts their entire life to a roll of the dice or lady luck. Think of all those super robot shows where it's like, you can't do that. It's impossible. And we have to just forego reason entirely and charge straight ahead and damn the torpedoes. That's the manly sentiment, ignoring logic and rationality, (laughs) throwing it all to the wind. And that's what gambling manga centers on, first and foremost. And Kaiji is probably the king of this. It's a show, it's fairly recent. It just finished up, what, a couple months ago? And then Akagi was before that. Both of them were animated by Madhouse, whom I've been talking about for quite a bit now, since Paprika and all that stuff. The idea of this show... I mentioned that it was based off of a manga. Very, very, very long running manga. This show, however, is not a hundred episodes long. It goes pretty fast. I haven't read the manga myself. I think there might be some scans of the manga out there because at the end of a lot of the fan subs, they do show some manga screen caps of it. But the basic premise of Kaiji is you have a guy. His name is Kaiji Ito. He's the titular character and he is we were talking about in the news segment these sort of working poor. The term in Japan for kaiji, it's, it's slightly different, but he's what's known as a freeter, which is a guy who he graduated from school, he has his education and all that stuff, but due to the way the economy is, and due to maybe uh, some aspects of his life or his personality, he can't get a full-time job. He has to work these very menial part-time labor jobs that aren't very glamorous. and They don't really pay anything. And the way Japan is set up, very much like here, the longer it is that you go not really working a full-time career job, the harder it is to get a job because employers want people who are straight out of school. I know even me, I couldn't get a job for several years because the way the economy was. And every time I go to an interview, it's like, oh, well, I see on your resume, you're missing a great deal of time here. And I was like, yes, I was looking for a job. There wasn't any. But the perception is that these people who are educated somewhat, you know, maybe they have only high school education, or maybe they have college educations but they can't get a job. And because they can't get a job, they can't really get money. And because they can't really get money, they can't really get maybe married to or start a family or various things. So their lives are basically in limbo, and they can't really
3: amount to much. Sort of like Kato.
0: Yes, sort of like Kato, exactly. And so Kaiji is hmm. also, sort of like Kato, resentful of his lot in life, and he's very bitter towards these people who he perceives as having what he can't have. He lashes out the world not by stabbing people and running people over with his truck, but at the, at the start of this anime, he's, he steals from very expensive cars.
2: <laughs> this is That's a great existence. Just, it's not really relevant. <laughs> Does he meet Batman then and become Robin? He does not
0: get blown up by the Joker and Superboy Prime does not punch a wall and bring him back to life. (laughs) However, (laughs) of course, the people who have nice cars in Japan may or may not be the most savory individuals out there. And so through happenstance, he ends up running in with the Yakuza. The Yakuza, who are, of course, very benevolent people who are only out for the betterment of society, convince Kaiji to... Do something because he finds himself that he's in debt. Part of what makes Kaiji's situation bad is a bad break in life. But the other part is that he's basically the stereotypical otaku personality. Very pathetic. He's very, very, let's say, gullible in a lot of ways. He has some skills. He's pretty smart, but he's not very good around people. And so mm. he has a coworker who says hey kaiji i gotta take out a loan but i need someone else to co-sign with me and i don't have any friends hey will you sign this loan for me oh no and so kaiji says oh sure whatever of course the loan is to the yakuza oh his friend can't pay the money so guess who has to pay off these millions and millions (laughs) it's kaiji's debt now and so the yakuza say all right you can either pay us back in installments but guess what if you do that, you're going to be under our thumb until you're 50 or 40 or whatever. Kaiji's in his twenties or something like that. And so the Yakuza, hmm. because they're so friendly, <laughs> extend him an opportunity. They instead say, of
3: breaking his legs.
0: <laughs> instead of, you know, paying off all this money for years and years, we're feeling altruistic. We're going to give you, Kaiji, a chance to make millions and millions. In a few hours of your time, (laughs) in just one day, Uh. you gotta hurry.
2: What could possibly go wrong?
0: Hey, (laughs) think about it. Think of the alternatives. Do you want to live your life like a shitbag for the rest of your life? Or do you want to gamble, take that risk, and go out there and try and get out of this rut you've got in your life? And so Kaiji is like, all right, what do I got to do? And the Yakuza guy is like, you have to play the game. What is the game? Is the game involved being put on a remote island as uh, ninjas chase after <laughs> you and the only thing that can save you is your gymnastic skill and a pommel horse located conveniently in the center of Insane People Town? Is Michael Douglas involved? Are they going to get a notes out of a clown's mouth? Yeah. They won't tell them what the game is. They're just saying, these are the stakes of the game. If you do this, then you will win millions. But if you lose the game, your life is over. You might die as a result. It is somewhat of a spoiler to reveal what the game is, but there are multiple games that have to be played. And the first game is hilarious, what it actually is. (laughs) But it's very much like there's this anime. I mean, we've been talking about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and soon, very soon, I promise, I'll be reviewing part three of that. And uh, one of the best stories or most remembered stories in JoJo's is the gambling guy. This guy named Darby. Oh, yeah. Daniel J. Darby.
3: That was a really good episode.
0: What makes this such a good episode is he's a gambler, but he gambles on really mundane things. Yeah. But you can make a really mundane thing interesting if the stakes are if you lose, you die. die, Or if you lose, you're sold into slavery (laughs) or something like that. And so really... The whole gambling manga, it's all about the bluff or the face or reading what the other person's going to do or trying to figure out a way to game the system and win. And it's not technically cheating because you're doing something weird. So the game doesn't really matter because what makes gambling manga so awesome is all the stuff around it. Everybody knows about yakitate Japan. That's this anime that right. is this very right. shounen action sort of formulaic thing. However,
3: it, it's not a fight. It's a fighting manga, basically. But
0: the actual fight yeah. doesn't matter. It's actually about baking bread. Yeah. Because what matters in this, these types of stories isn't the fight that they're doing or the sport that they're playing or whatever it is. It's just the, huh, huh, what's he going to do? And the weird characters. And, oh, I'm the cool guy. And I'm a crazy guy. And that's what kaiji's about. There's all these... Weird, ridiculous games.
2: See, maybe I just watched the wrong Mahjong show. Because I just remember we started watching, was it Legendary Gambler Tetsuya or something? Tetsia, yeah. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, I don't understand how Mahjong works and I can't follow this.
0: I guarantee you the person who wrote it had no idea how Mahjong works either. And it's just like, what's he going to do? Oh, he's got the so-and-so tile. The so-and-so tile? The so-and-so tile is undefeatable. Oh, I have the such-and-such tile. If I place the such-and-such tile here, he cannot use the so-and-so tile. It doesn't even matter. What's really going on? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly
3: what it was, and then right. every single one of those tiles came with a note on the screen, and then you're just completely lost with trying to read everything.
0: And so Akagi, which was also by Fukumoto Nobuyuki, is a Mahjong manga, totally plays yeah. by those, what the fuck is going on, it doesn't matter, it's this a is, this is Mahjong <laughs> manga, go with it. But Kaiji, yeah. the games are much more intuitive. They sit down and they explain to you, this is what the rules of this game are. The game is very, very simple. You just have to do this. Easy, right? And you have this much time to do the game in. Whoever wins, wins. Whoever loses, loses. <laughs> there is a great deal of crying manly tears. Woohoo! Doing all sorts of impassioned speeches yeah. and all the great things that make sane and hilarious. But what makes really sells the show on the emotional level is the narrator. I talked about this show called Ipatsu Kikimusume a while back, or Miss Critical Moment, This had this crazy narrator mm-hmm. talking yeah. about the stakes of doing this or so-and-so, and there's a 3% chance of living if you right, do this, right. but the only way that you can survive is to go forward, and what is Kunyun gonna do? That very same style of narrator is throughout Kaiji. The narrator serves two purposes. One is he just quickly summarizes, like, and then for the next two hours they did this, probably to summarize what maybe it took a lot of time in the manga or maybe right. whatever but it keeps going at a, a very good pace but the other thing is the feeling inside kaiji's heart was akin to this and then it cuts away <laughs> to like some really bizarre analogy of what's going on like animation wise it's like if you were trying to swim but you know, had giant weights shackled to your ankles and also there were live piranhas surrounding you and then it shows like him floundering in the water and trying to get you know, Maybe that didn't actually happen, but it's a similar example. (laughs) The thing is about these games is because they're put on by the Yakuza, there's some sort of shadiness to them right? in which even if you win, maybe you aren't really going to win, but you can actually win. However, the way that the author sets these games up is that they're basically microcosms of how society works. And this isn't a subtle symbolism thing because the narrator is going to jump in and say, This is a microcosm of how society works. (laughs) Very much like how the rich are going to get richer and look down upon the poor. The poor are are struggling and have only one choice in front of them. And there's these games, the people who have to play the games to get ahead in life, and the people who observe the games, the people who try to cheat the system, and all these things are present in all the games in Kaiji. And I knew that if I had mentioned at the end of the last show... I'm going to do Kaiji. At the end of the first episode, they reveal the game. And this game goes on for like a good half the series, or maybe a little less than half the series. But then due to various happenstance and Kaiji's personality, he ends up having to keep escalating the stakes. Because (laughs) basically, even though Kaiji's this pathetic otaku, one of the things that makes people kind of drawn to the series is the fact that even though he's this pathetic otaku, he's basically a morally good person even though he does a lot of shitty things in his life impossible still wants to do the right thing deep down and he wants to trust people and he wants to have friends but in all these games just like in society it is dog eat dog kill or be killed (laughs) and he always comes to these conclusions like i have to be heartless and just be like you know a stone cold uncaring person and i'm gonna do that i'm just gonna do but i can't do it (laughs) i just can't do
2: it Oh, and so, no, poor Kaiji.
0: I know people sort of play up Kaiji as like the male Moe sort of character. Right,
2: right. You feel so
0: sorry for him and you want to see him succeed just like Dencha Otoko. and you just got to get up and have hope and believe, man. Because the thing is, is that even though he's not a very good gambler, so to speak, he actually has talent for it as far as figuring out what the odds are, figuring out mm. if I do this, then they're going to do that. But everyone else, of course, since they're the Yakuza, they're like, haha, <laughs> my job in life is to analyze people and read people because right. that's what Yakuza do. And you cannot defeat me because I am the greatest. Ha ha. Go, no, you will see how you are the greatest when I am winning and you are not. And now it's turned to speed racing.
2: Those are what to say.
0: Yeah, I, that doesn't actually happen. I, I wish it did. <laughs> Kaiji is a really cool show, but the most off-putting thing about it is its artwork. And also the fact that because this is a super-duper manly seinen manga, there are no women in Kaiji at all. It's an exaggeration to say no women at all. I think maybe if you watch through the whole show, there's maybe two or three women in the background.
2: It's so funny that you say that, because the way that I found out about both Akagi and Kaiji was by lots and lots of Yaoi fan art on 4chan.
3: Yes. (laughs) I'm sure there's quite a bit of it. Are there even, like, pretty-looking guys in this
0: show, though? No, no, there are no pretty-looking men. They're all just, like, hard, grizzled Yakuza men and all these guys in black suits who all look identical.
2: But somehow it still seems to have a following anyway, and it kind of works, I don't know.
0: I can understand why it has the following. There's one woman with one line after, like, Mm. 12 episodes, but all the people who are forced to compete are pretty much guys down-and-out, loser otaku types, so they aren't really the prettiest kind of guys. Some of them are like these down-on-their-luck salary men. A lot of them, they're just intentionally meant to look like these are dregs of society who aren't really doing anything with their lives, because they're living these dead-end jobs and thinking to themselves, oh, my life would be better if only I did this, and only so-and-so wasn't doing this to me. And the Yakuza are laughing at them because they don't realize how pathetic they truly are. Kaiji is the only one who, even though he kind of realizes what he needs to do, he still can't really get out of his rut because he's too nice a guy. No. And that's why he is the suffering pariah, but he is also the ultimate survivor. <laughs> and so <laughs> eventually things, he's obviously not going to die. Okay, maybe he might die, or maybe he might get horribly maimed and wounded and beaten up or whatever. But he is a survivor, damn it. And that's what Kaiji is all about. I think that's the reason why there's the Yaoi following, even though the artwork right. is bizarre. Because you can pretty up the artwork and even make Madarame look good, maybe.
3: <laughs> I've seen. As it.
0: long as the core personality screaming at the top of your lungs, as tears stream down <laughs> your eyes, and maybe the tears are gonna fall into an electrified shark tank. <laughs> Angry, ill-tempered sea bass have laser beams strapped to their heads, and the gamble is to see, you know, how long you can stand above it. <laughs> that doesn't actually happen, but th- I believe the way the manga worked was there was three main parts. Mm. And even though you could say there's like
3: yeah, I see on their website there's three main parts.
0: parts to this anime. This is only part one. It does end because of course eventually Kaiji's challenging like the head of the Yakuza who's like. In all sane and things, the head of the Yakuza is always like this crusty old man who's like yeah. Emperor Palpatine. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Look at all these men with their arms and legs broken as a result of losing the game. I'm just going to run up and just start beating them with a stick. It doesn't hurt me at all, but it hurts them. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Kaiji's like, fuck you, asshole. I'm going to see you pay. And it's all about just watching Kaiji as he's trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do, and he's got his plan, but every step of the plan goes wrong, very much like Michael Schofield in Prison Break. <laughs> Nothing goes right for Kaiji, ever. But you just keep holding out hope that he's going he's gonna to get him. He's going to win. And, and maybe he will, and maybe he won't. But you can get all of Kaiji. The entire series has been fan-subbed, as well as Akagi. I think I like Kaiji more Just because Akagi is the crazy bullshit Mahjong, whereas Kaiji is, Alright, you're gonna play Uno, but if you (laughs) don't say Uno at the right time, we're gonna saw off your feet.
2: You're saying, like, you wouldn't tell us what the game was.
0: I'm making up games.
2: Oh, okay, I'm, like, picturing them playing, like, Hungry Hungry Hippos or something. You know, ridiculous?
0: (laughs) I'm throwing out (laughs) theoretical things that may or may not be real.
2: (laughs) Uh-huh.
3: So, so this is like the battle oh, athlete's yeah. victory of gambling manga, then. It's
0: not a very violent show. However, when people <laughs> lose the game, it's implied, like, what's gonna happen to them? Because they're always talking about, if you lose the game, no one's ever gonna see you again, and they're gonna use your body to experiment on and <laughs> do whatever. You're gonna be sold into human slavery or. And then maybe you'll just see like the Yakuza will grab a guy and carry him into the other room. You don't know what's going on in the other room, but it's obviously something bad. Yeah. Gambling manga, we haven't really heard a lot about it. We haven't talked much about it in the show. Because it is primarily a seinen thing, it doesn't get mm-hmm. adapted into anime very often, which is why it's so surprising to see Kaiji get adapted. I mean, the closest right. we've gotten is stuff like... You know, Hikaru no Go, which is more of a game sort of thing.
3: There's actually, like, always a gambling anime on. There's always been one on for at least, like, 20 years, but it usually is, like, one show that no one really knows about, just kind of airs.
0: Well, Mm -hmm. what they're trying to do now is they're trying to grow the audience for gambling manga by infusing it with the whole what's hip among otaku stuff. So now there is some things about like a girl who plays shogi or the guys who are playing this. And oh, here's one with like the maids in Akihabara are all playing Chinese chess or whatever. Mm. And if you can beat me, you can feel my tits or, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) I don't know what's going on, but... (laughs) They are trying to get like some nicer artwork sort of things to try and get more people to read this stuff. Because most of the things that come out are pretty much just in the very seinen gambling manga anthologies that I think one is called Kindai Mahjong probably the most famous i think that's where kaiji ran in and also akagi
3: yeah there's multiple like just gambling manga anthologies i don't think anyone under 50 reads them
0: yeah and all these things they run forever like kaiji ran for like 12 years or (laughs) then the same author has two other things and they run 14 years
3: see what i'm really waiting for is someone to animate a pachinko manga
2: oh god
0: just
3: I can't people believe-
2: sitting there in front of machines watching balls fall yeah and
0: it's a subset of the gambling even though you know oh you got to draw your own pachinko machine yeah whatever. but it's still the same idea of <laughs> it all boils down to luck and
2: <laughs> yeah i would be interested to see that just to see if they can make <laughs> a dude sitting in front of a machine staring at it interesting because pachinko seems like the most boring thing
0: if they make the stakes high enough you have then, no then control. Then it can be exciting if yeah. it's something like you're gonna have to win this many balls of pachinko, or this electric drill is going in your nostril. <laughs> you know that sort of thing.
3: <laughs> it would have to be something else, like uh, the owner of the gambling parlor modified the tension on the yeah. on the handle here, so
0: so it can be like the initial D endless conversation between his brain and his foot. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Only this time it's pachinko. <laughs> I don't have the control in my wrist to twist the thing just enough.
2: You can't do anything in Pachinko, right? Isn't it kind of like slots where you just, like, sit there and hope you win?
3: Yeah. You can change, like, how f- hard the balls are shoot out, but yeah. that's about it. So that's why I was saying, like, he changed <laughs> right, the tension yeah. on the knob. And if I release my hand on the knob, Quick, d- this place will the explode. the Pachinko
0: machine! Curve the bullet! You know, it's like, so... <laughs>
3: I think we've just created the Ultimate Pachinko show right here, so...
0: (laughs) I think Kaiji is the kind of show where you can figure out whether or not you're going to like it based on three episodes. The first storyline is maybe maybe nine or ten episodes long. I don't remember exactly. But you can get a feel for what you're in for. Like, the first episode is just like, oh, this is Kaiji, and this is his loser situation that he's in. Really, the only way, though, that Kaiji gets to shine even though he's a pathetic otaku, is by placing him in the company of more pathetic people than him. <laughs> so he can be the one who has to rally everyone and get everyone's hopes up right? bring them together, only for them all to fail. Oh. But maybe try him <laughs> and turn everything around. It's, if anyone who's a fan of Phoenix Wright, they know the Japanese name for that is uh, Gyakutan Saiban. Right. Gyakutan means something like turnabout. That is a word that is very commonly used in kaiji. Mm. Figuring out, like, when everything is against you and you can turn it all around right now and this one thing and it all comes down to this. Pull that out at the last minute. That's how kaiji is. So I think everyone should give kaiji a shot. It's very easy to find still. I don't think it's going to get licensed anytime soon.
2: Yeah, I would imagine not.
3: I think gambling anime is probably some of the least likely to ever get licensed stuff.
2: I think the anime
0: industry would be taking a gamble of their own (laughs) if they were to license kaiji. But I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. everything in anime and the manga industry is a bit of a gamble in general because, hey, the amount of new people coming in, like we just said in Gerald's review, are on the decline and making a success. you got to take a big risk, and the bigger the risk you take, the bigger the potential reward. Manga is like that. Anime is like that. So... Give Kaiji a shot. I think uh, a lot of the other people who didn't really dig this show or Akagi before it might not have understood the true heart and soul of what it takes to be a gambling man. <laughs> Gotta listen to more Kenny Rogers. Watch Kaiji first. If you like Kaiji, go back and watch Akagi. <laughs> and finally after two and a half hours that brings show number 70 of the anime world order podcast to an end. yeah it was a little longer than usual but hey deal with it we don't actually have a closing recorded so i don't actually know once again what we are doing in show number 71 But I sure talked a lot about how I was going to talk about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 3, so maybe I should do that. Anyway, the website for our show is www.animeworldorder.com. Leave us comments on the blog or send us emails, animeworldorder at gmail.com. We've got voicemails again, 206-666-4296. Just want to remind everybody, Otaku USA, new issue out this week. Full Metal Alchemist on the cover. As written by me, also, com. The website has been totally updated and overhauled. And to kick that off, they've got brand new articles from Clarissa and myself. Clarissa's talking about dojinshi events over this weekend. For all you people who are just too rich to go to Anime Expo and are in Japan right now. I am talking about the mad, mad world of Yoshiaki Kawajiri, but don't just count on our articles. Because one of our listeners, Darius Washington, contributed a pretty nice piece on Macross Plus. So all that stuff is over there. Check out the website. And be sure to leave comments on the articles proclaiming how good those are and how nerd girls are not the future. Yoshiaki Kawajiri is the future and also the past. Maybe I should review more Yoshiaki Kawajiri stuff next time. Let me know. Anyway, it's 1 in the morning, so I'm hitting stop.